Welcome to The Wheel Reads, a Wheel of Time podcast. Your hosts are Alan, Chris, and Ian. This podcast is safe for first-time readers with no spoilers. This week, we'll be covering chapters 32 and 33 of The Eye of the World, Four Kings in Shadow, and The Dark Waits. Enjoy. All right, moving into episode 16. Um, Before we actually get into the actual real episode, some housekeeping items right now. I'm going to go ahead and announce that we have two new Patreons since last time we recorded. The first one is Watt Credits. Um, He just recently joined our Discord, and uh, it's big on, um, I guess, Twitter as well. I mean, I I follow him on Twitter. He's currently doing a thing where he's going through every single, like, name every Wheel of Time character um, in the entire series. I think he's on Shadow Rising, but it's pretty cool to follow him. You can kind of see... Uh, some statistics around characters there. And our second Patreon since last time recorded is DT. Um, DT runs a uh, trivia uh, uh, server on, on Discord as well. So if you join our Discord or, or, or look him up on Twitter, you can probably find links to, to his Discord um, where he, he does a, a weekly, or I think it's bi-weekly trivia. So thank you so much for uh, for becoming Patreons. Um, also, also last week I also announced already who the winner was of the book contest. As always, we will do more of those as time goes on. Um, you know, that's thanks to our Patreons for allowing those things to happen. Um, uh, and and we had to work on some logistics with that. That was a lot of fun today. But um, uh, but we got it all done. So <laughs> book is shipped. It's on its way, uh, and we're good to go there. So speaking of Patreons, um, one thing they're doing different tonight than we. Um, have never done before is we actually have one of our patrons on with the episode with us as a guest host tonight so uh, uh she goes by delusions of griddle on uh discord and twitter and a bunch of other places as well her real name's aaron but uh i'll kind of turn it over to her and let her introduce herself and tell her a little about herself and uh, before we get going oh thanks alan um yeah so like alan said my name is aaron uh, a little bit nervous i've never done a podcast before <laughs> um I guess the easiest way to start is just by telling everyone how I got into the Wheel of Time in the first place and what brought me here at the tender age of 32 onto a beautiful podcast with these three fine gentlemen. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I actually picked up Wheel of Time 20 years ago when I was 12. Uh, Not dissimilar to Sarah Nakamura, my older brother got me into it. At that time, I think I was reading like Redwall, um, big fan of Constance the Badger, and uh, had tried to read Lord of the Rings a few times and just couldn't get into it. And uh, he he begged me to read Eye of the World because he thought it was something that could kind of eventually gateway me into Lord of the Rings. Um, That never ended up happening. (laughs) It uh, it did, (laughs) did temporarily lead me down a dark path of sort of truth, which I prefer not to think about now in my later <laughs> years. <laughs> um, but yeah, basically from the age of 12, I got into Wheel of Time. At that point, um, Winter's Heart was just about to be released. So that's book nine. Um, I got dragged onto the Wheel of Time book forum while I was in the middle of um, 
Eye of the World and uh, took a handle on there and basically interacted with the Wheel of Time community in that capacity um, for about six years before I graduated high school and then went off to undergrad and forgot all about the Wheel of Time for many, many years until, uh, like I'd read the new books when they came out um, periodically, but it wasn't really until um, last fall that I got back into the Wheel of Time community again, and it's been a blast. Good. Been a lot of fun. Um, similarly, you know, I just got, kind of jumped back in about a year ago as well b- before starting this podcast. So it's it's a lot of fun. The community is great right now. So if you want to pick up a series that has a really strong community, this is it. Um, and, and and also, Aaron, you didn't mention as well. Aaron's from the Blight. Um, <laughs> yeah. So if you, if you pick up that accent, he is. Yeah, um, he is from the Blight. So we have uh, all the way from up there coming down to. Uh, away from uh, from fighting Trollocs. To, uh, to <laughs> took, some <laughs> <off. laughs> took some time off. Took some time off. So yeah. So um, as far as personal life goes, you know, we had Jordan Con last weekend. It was Jordan Con Online. Um, Jordan Con Line. Yeah, I think that's Jordan what they Con called it. Uh, yeah, Jordan Line, which was it was kind of cool. I mean, I wish it still had the real thing because this is gonna be our first year, all of our first years going. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it was kind of a bummer. But the online thing was still kind of cool. They had some cool uh youtube videos and, and live and live things going on so yeah i'm still going to enjoy that yeah we yeah. kept the dance party going till about um certainly 5 a.m my time which is <laughs> <about> the standard <laughs> and uh, nice. it was such a raging success that we're actually doing it again apparently on may 9th so it's hmm. <laughs> so saturday yeah. night wow. if anyone wants to awesome. dance in front of their laptop <laughs> for 12 hours <laughs> Yeah, and, and the Dusty Wheels actually, because of all the successes, think about actually making a permanent online con like uh, Telecon Riyadh. Um, yeah, Telecon Riyadh, um, which they're uh, looking at dates and things like that, and actually thinking about making it a thing. So it won't be Jordan Con. Jordan Con will go back to the normal thing next year, hopefully, minus a major pandemic. Um, <laughs> you know, but, uh, <laughs> hopefully, we'll be back in Atlanta next year. But uh, there might be online things now from now on. So we'll see. Um, yeah, cool. so with per- yeah, personal life, what, what about you guys, uh, Chris, Ian, um, anything new with you guys? So, uh, to wrap up the story of my dad's recovery mentioned before that he was coming back home and part of what I think is happening, uh, we're going to have to telework for much longer than I even thought we would as far as work goes. Uh, and with some of the needs with my dad and his wife. Uh, I'm just going to have to suck it up and uh, go stay at their house, which happens to be on this beautiful, pristine river. Uh, And the temperatures are fantastic right now. And I'm going to have to sit on the pier and telework. And I just don't know how I'm going to do it. But um, uh, with the the jet skis and the the rope swings. Oh, my gosh. The uh, sacrifices you make are just... (laughs) Right, really, it's because really person. Of, yeah, because family and love and sacrifice. I like that word that you use. That I'm going to, uh, but no. So that, um, I, I'm paying my dues though because uh, one of the things when I went and talked to them, you know, my my dad, everybody that you got your laundry list for spring cleaning, but when you live on the water like that, uh, the things you got to take care of before you launch the boats and everything. I mean, it, it's a hefty to do list. And with him being retired, he can normally take his time with it, but he can't do any of that now. 
So he appreciates, I went out there, did a lot of power washing. I have some boards on the pier to replace. We have some other things to do, but um, I I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be good. They could use the company, but he could definitely use the help and I'm, I'm happy to do it. So yeah. That's awesome. I'm so happy to hear he's doing better. Yeah, that is great. Yeah, he's doing really well. Yep. Good. That's great. How about you, Chris? Um, hmm. Last Wednesday, I accepted a challenge to do a week-long fast. Ooh. So I'm ending okay. my week-long fast as of tomorrow. Well, I guess technically tonight since I'm sipping on tequila. But as far as <laughs> yeah. not eating whole food, it has been an entire week. And that's been pretty oh interesting God. to see whether or not I was able to do it. Like I was allowed one fruit smoothie a day. So it wasn't a full out like water fast like I normally do. So um, that, that's been mm. pretty interesting, especially since I normally do keto, which is all meat, no, no fruits. Um, so to go completely opposite direction um, out of nowhere, cold turkey was very interesting. But it's been, you know, easy to say the least. <laughs> I've definitely been a lot more productive since I haven't been focused on food, which is awesome. I always feel that way when I fast, but um, especially, you know, having an entire week and then having to 12 and 13 hour days trying to get seniors graduated, get online educating up and running, uh, training people on how to use the things that they have to then go and teach on, um, troubleshooting through Zoom meetings and then learning how to be uh, technology support specialist when I'm a systems specialist has been different. Um, you know, computers are pretty intuitive for me, but you know, it takes time essentially for me to dig in and find the issues and to not be able to sit in front of the physical computer and do it. It's stressful because you can't use all the tricks when you're remoting into a desktop. So that being said, (laughs) Uh, it's been very interesting. My life has literally just been about work and of course church where we're zoom meeting and go to meeting there. So we're still having great service there and, um, still facilitating with the group through different forms of media and, um, you know, getting to spend time with a select, uh, eight or nine people that I do like physically has been really interesting because, you know, you develop a different level of relationship when those are the only people you can interact with. And so you, you learn yeah. more of the good and more of the bad. Um, so definitely, <laughs> definitely navigating people differently. So that, that's about sure. it. I'm, I'm, you know, I will be grateful for when this is all over. Um, but I, I don't know how much of life is going to return to what it was. So I'm just naturally curious as to what's coming next mm-hmm. How- sure how'd your interview go chris and as far as the interview went um another bane of my existence in this point the interview went well um I, it helps when you know all three people that you interview with it, newport news is large but um when you get in with a group you kind of are able to navigate things really well especially if you're an awesome networker and that's one thing i kind of do well so all three people that interviewed me i knew so it was an hour-long casual conversation about you know if you don't select me then you're just you know not making a smart decision (laughs) (laughs) no ego no ego no and that's the thing i was was trying my hardest to be humble because i'm really not I, I really try to be a humble person, but they already know me. They already know what I've done in this system. I've done more 
in Newport New Schools in the last five years than most teachers will do in their entire, um, you know, time in, in the schools. Like most people go to teach and that's all they do. I've worked two major jobs and worked literally with everybody from custodians all the way up to our superintendent um, to where we're on speaking terms, you know, and, and on first name basis. So, you know, I'm hoping that not my reputation, but the work that I've done speaks for itself and that the reputation yeah. carries it further. I actually, speaking of reputation, I was told by an administrator today that my name was brought up in a meeting for pulling me out of my current position and making me an assistant principal next year. Oh, hey! Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a fast track. It is, especially when yeah. I would be skipping an entire position because you have to teach in Newport News to be an administrator, but the they don't say how long you have to teach. So right. I go through this program, I teach for a month and they could easily pull me because there are like two principals sure. that want me to come work in their building already. So that's amazing. I don't know that I would choose hey, to do that, like, but <laughs> like, Chris, Chris, is, Chris is one of those guys that walks into an interview and they ask him that first question, like describe yourself in one word and Chris goes fired. <laughs> Yeah. My biggest weakness is I'm meticulous. What? That's not a weakness. Well, it is when you overwork yourself and yeah. you, you take you take a strength, you turn it into a weakness, and you make it sound like it's a weakness, even though it's a strength. Like you, you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. nothing else I'm doing with words. There's a friend of mine. I was chatting to her and she's like, you're really good with words when you want to be. And I'm like, I'm glad you think so. <laughs> <laughs> Keywords there, like when you want to be. <laughs> Bingo. There you go. Hey, Chris, just do yourself a favor. And if you're staying in the Newport New School system and moving up, do not mention my name. Any other job networking anywhere, maybe, but not Newport New School. So, and, uh, uh, my, my picture is probably still on a wall somewhere. It's wise. Very yeah. wise. <laughs> I, Chris, we also have our country and state this, this week. Um, so, guys, we are slacking in uh, the northern European area, Switzerland. You cannot continue to not provide us with somebody. Yeah. You actually have to take a side on this. <laughs> so there's the challenge. You know, I was looking at the map. You know, we have we have Italy, we have France, we have Germany, and we have Austria. So literally we have almost every country that surrounds Switzerland that we have listeners from, but nothing from Switzerland. Um, so Lucerne or, or wherever you are in Switzerland, just, yeah. We'd love to have, watch, <laughs> listen to us. Yeah. Um, Let's do it. Yeah. All right, so moving on to the actual chapter. So first we'll do predictions, and then we'll jump right into Chapter 32. So predictions from last week is that Perrin is becoming a werewolf. That was one of them. Yeah. Um, Matt, Matt is still <laughs> turning into more death. Um, yep. That was another one. And that Ian has really bad allergies sometimes when like, oh, wolves yeah. die and stuff. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. just a pollen. Yeah. It gets really bad. So, yeah, um, those were um, – we learned about – Ian's allergies uh, as well. So uh, we'll, we'll see if the allergies continue to come back on non-allergy seasons. Not in these chapters. Not in these chapters. No allergy ones, problems. Not at all. Yeah. So moving forward, chapter 32, we have the Four Kings in Shadow, which is um, 
Uh, we'll talk about the name of the title, uh, the title of the chapter, and also the symbol, which is the dragon's fang again. And the last time we saw that was all the way back in chapter, actually, we saw it a couple of times. We saw the peddler, chapter three, chapter nine, tellings of the wheel, the stagon lion, and watchers and hunters. So twice in Barillon and twice in Emmons Field. Now we see it again, the dragon's fang. So let's talk about it. What do you guys yeah. think? Uh, in one of these two chapters, and I'm I'm flipping through. I don't know if I marked it. Didn't didn't somebody flat out say that this is the symbol of a dark friend? The dragon fang. Yeah. Yeah. So that oh, was back um, when the dragon fang was scrawled on um, the Wine Spring Inn, mm-hmm. the door of the Wine Spring Inn, because Master mm-hmm. Alvier was hosting an Aes Sedai and a warder. Um, so send Bowie right. and the boys. Yeah. I'm so glad you could pronounce the names for us tonight. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds so, it just rolls off your tongue. Can't promise they're right. I've never listened to the audiobooks. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, so yeah, yeah, I did mention that earlier in an earlier chapter that sometimes uh, people will draw it on people's doors as a representation of them being a dark friend. Right. Yeah. So, so that's, that's what we got. But then Four Kings in Shadow, like the title itself, Four Kings being a location in shadow and darkness, like, uh, obviously, as we read forward, like, this is a pretty crappy place. Um, (laughs) But before I even started reading, I just, I I, I took this as a place that was already kind of being absorbed by the dark side or, uh, you know, there's some bad folks here. Yep. Any thoughts, Chris? Ian did a pretty good job of summarizing tonight. Uh, I would have... <laughs> <laughs> Continue on. So, yeah. So, you know, last chapter we ended with everything was going great until we got to Four Kings. So now we're in Four Kings. It starts out with a description of what the town kind of looks like. Uh, you can tell right away it's a bit of a rougher town. It explains that it's a crossroads town. So a lot of times in the, in the world, wherever you have uh, like there's major shipping lanes for like the sea, or we, especially back in Roman times, like major roads that would cross, those towns tend to get a lot of traffic. You get a lot of people from all over, and that always just breeds crime. Because um, you know we, we talked about this, I guess, back in uh, the Terran Ferry um, episode, like when you have opportunity, sometimes that that will cause people to do you know, worse things. When you have travelers coming in all the time, there's lots of opportunity where, oh, they'll never see again. So um, it lends itself to be a more shadier town just by the sheer fact of it being a, a crossroads. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, I think about medieval towns and things like that, and we go on and on and on about that. But if you're talking about a smaller town that doesn't have like a big, you know, like a big king army to, to, to keep, the, keep the peace, it's just a small town that has lots of traffic going through it. Uh, shady stuff sounds strange to happen. Kind of so. remind me of my time that I spent in Delhi and New Delhi when I was in India. Like you could not police okay. the streets there. Everywhere you turn, there was a different shop. There was somebody trying to sell you something. Like literally, you were just swarmed by things. Um, and when I say things, literally, that's the only way to describe. You look to the left, and people are selling cell phones. You look to the right, they're selling little wooden carvings. You look in front of you and they're selling fans. You look behind you, they're selling drinks. Like there was so much chaos, but at the same time, like it had this weird sense of organization. That's kind of what I think of when I'm thinking about this. Mm-hmm. Like it's stopover town. You kind of know it's a merchant and everything. 
you know, that literally it's, you know, you come in, you get what you need, you pop out or you, you're, you're searching for a ride and you're headed out. It's nowhere to be very long. And that's how I felt about, you know, being in the, the Delhi, New Delhi area of India. So it was just pretty interesting to, to read about this. Yeah. Yeah, the people there are really crude and glum, and everybody's kind of dragging around. Yeah, There's no village green, um, and the children yeah. played in the ruts, dodging wagons and the curses of wagon drivers. Village women heads covered with scars, keeping their eyes down, and walked quickly, sometimes followed by wagoneer comments that made Rand blush. Even Matt gave a start at some of them. Um, but there's also no women gossiping over the fence with a neighbor. <laughs> like, the, the imagery yeah. that he gives here just, like, when I was in India, this is exactly how it felt. Like literally you could look, and this is kind of, you know, going off the mark, but still on it. You can look to the left. You can see somebody like defecating in the street. Um, you could look to the right and you see kids literally playing in the water where five mile or a mile down the road, people were like using the bathroom and bathing. And then, you know, a few miles down the road before that, they're yeah. throwing trash in it. You know, it, this it's just like the imagery here really meant something to me because I could see just these dirty streets and these like homeless kids and these kids with needs and, you know, the, the, just the people like literally the women in clothes covering themselves almost head to toe and not really engaging in conversation. So it was just, even though there's millions of people around, you feel like you're in your own community within yourself. So Mm -hmm. it's pretty interesting. He said heavy shutters on the house had not been opened in so long that the hinges were solid hinges were solid lumps of rust. Noise hung over everything, clanging from blacksmith shouts from wagon drivers, uh, raciously laughing um, from the towns. And like, I just I love the way he paints this image, and it really just captivated me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a beautiful, like, stark contrast to the chapter before in Play for Your Supper when, you know, Rand and Matt are walking through a town that just brings, like, so many, like, just, like, rings home to Rand and it just, like, strikes him as, like, basically Emmonsfield 2.0 and, like, the, you know, the warm and, like, um, inviting in, like, where where women are, like, holding up laundry and, like, chatting with each other and just, like, the immediate stark contrast to walking into Four Kings and like having that mm-hmm. like beautiful picture just so abruptly um, disrupted. Yeah. 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 And Randy, Rand doesn't like it all. You know, he even suggests not stopping and going somewhere else, but there's a storm coming. And he hears a thunder, you know, in the distance. And, and Matt kind of says, well, you know, I don't want to sleep in the rain. <laughs> like, let's, you know, we, we probably should stop somewhere here. Um, and they try to go in a few ends, but there's people already playing at the ends. They finally, I think it was the third end. They get to it's the dancing cartman. <laughs> it's quiet, so they see the opportunity because it's you know there's people in there, but it's not qu- crowded. It's it's quiet in there. You know, there's no no gleeman or a performer there. So uh, we we go inside. We meet um, Samuel Hake, um, Samuel Hake, which is the um, the innkeeper, and it describes describes him in a, a very very. Uh, Grandiose toy. <laughs> <laughs> Such a wonderful guy, this uh, Mr. Hank is. Uh, so let's talk about this. <laughs> so, uh, so first of all, it was the fourth in. Um, okay. Not that that matters too much. 
But uh, I do know eventually they touched on it. But one of the first things that jumped out at me when they were describing him was that he was a lanky, like thin type innkeeper. And even in my own mind's eye, I looked at that and I was like, I just, how do you, how do you trust a guy that runs a business like that and is, you know, can't put on a little bit of body fat? I mean, clearly the food must not be that good or the business <laughs> is not that great. Uh, and they do touch on that, but that would have been like uh, something that stood out to me. And I, it makes me wonder how much thought these guys put into it, like in the, the place they were selecting, like, I don't know. I know the other, the other ones were overcrowded and they were really relying on their opportunity to use their skills as quote unquote gleam in. But at the same time, they have to be considering all the dangers that are out there. And like, I would have walked mm-hmm. into this place and looked around and been like, Nope, not this one either. Like, I don't know. It just, uh, so, I guess so I gotta, they had to end up somewhere, but I'm surprised that they went with this one. Let's talk about sketchy, sketchy ends. Uh, this just reminds me of a story. So when I was traveling through uh, southeastern, uh, Southeast Asia, I was in Malaysia, in Kuala Lumpur, KL, which is the capital of Malaysia. And we get there, and I didn't have a place to stay. So because uh, uh, well, I, I was on a sailboat, but the Kuala Lumpur is way uh, inshore. So we took a bus there. So we needed to find a hotel or, or a hostel, a place to stay. And I didn't, I didn't do research before because, like me, I just say, like, oh, I'll just figure out when I get there, um, so, yeah. which is – Sometimes a really good idea. Sometimes a really bad idea. So we're just kind of walking around Chinatown uh, in, a small, in, um, in KL. And, and we, we find a person you know, that speaks English. And we said, yeah, we're looking for a hostel. He goes, oh, yeah, my friend owns a hostel. Follow me. So we follow some random local. And he takes us into a Chinese restaurant. Or like, okay, this is the restaurant. Because goes, keep following. It takes us through the kitchen. Like, we go through the kitchen. And then there's an elevator <laughs> at the very back of the restaurant. And like... We hit the button to the elevator, go to the top floor. It opens up. There's some guy like in a wife beater. All the lights are flickering. He's like watching TV. I was like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm going back down. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, so that's exactly what happened here. But instead of saying, nope, I'm good. Just kidding. Rand goes, I can play the flute. And Matt goes, look at me juggle. Like they're still trying to sell it. Like, I, I don't know. That's. But anyways, here here we are, and uh, the sketchiest place so far that I think we've run into in this entire book, and yeah. this is, this is where they chose to stay. Right, and to make things even worse, you know, the casual violence towards women, the bar, you know, the bartender or, or barmaid comes up and he backhands her just casually, you know, and um, yeah, that's, that's always just fun. That makes you <laughs> seem like a- <laughs> so. Yeah, well, that, that's so. A, that's something that. Uh, I mean, I thought about it for a while after I read it the first time, listened through again, uh, and then I try to put myself in the shoes of, all right, what if I, what if I were on this quest where I knew I had to go, like this was just a stopping point, right? And I was playing some big role in this huge ordeal that might make or break mankind, but at the same time, I like I'm in a place like this where. Like, there's all this cruelty going on. And I've mentioned before, like, I've just always naturally found myself sticking up to bullies. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's hard for me to keep my mouth shut when I see something like this going on. I mean, even if I'm outnumbered, outgunned, like, I just can't help but, 
like when he backhanded the waitress, if I were in that position, even though I knew, all right, I just need to make it through this and move on to the next place. Like, how do you not jump in, say something or intervene? And these are like, these are some of the moments where I go back and forth on, on Rand and uh, Matt, I don't give him a pass, but like, he's kind of cracking out because of this dagger. So he doesn't know where the hell he is anyways, but Rand, (laughs) like, I, I wonder like, how do you, the way they were raised and from where they come from, how does he not stand up? Yeah. At least at that moment yeah. where she takes a backhand. Like I couldn't imagine myself not jumping in and be like, the fuck are you doing? Like that's, I don't know. Yeah. So, so if, if I could defend Rand just in that moment, um, I think Rand's biggest consideration during all of this is Matt, right? Like he knows Matt isn't himself. He's been kind of questioning like, what's wrong with you? He's been seeing Matt get like more and more suspicious. The only time Matt kind of comes back into himself is when he's around kids and juggling. Um, So he's seen like his friend kind of turn into like this, like just darker, more suspicious version of himself. And, you know, constantly like hand in his cloak, you know, has become more and more violent, almost like pulled, um, you know, a bow and arrow on just like a stranger. So, in, right. in that moment, mm-hmm. I like to think that Rand wasn't just thinking of the poor barmaid who was casually backhanded, but was thinking about what would happen if he escalated the situation with Matt there. And then you've got, you know, like <laughs> Jack and Strom in the background who are just like cracking knuckles, six low lives, like with their head in a wine cup. So I think like the best thing that you can say about Rand is like he does, he does kind of see like a bigger picture in parts and, you know, yeah. like really he's he's trying to look after matt he's trying to find him they've looked at every other inn in um four kings there's nowhere else that they can go um matt wants to sleep with a roof over his head i think his number one concern in this moment is not like this casual stranger that he'll never see again because he's just passing through it's about like his childhood friend who was born within weeks of him and he thought he's known for 20 years yeah good point Mm -hmm. Good point. I still like to get random. Everybody hates Rand. <laughs> you did a good job. No, it, yeah. well, I mean, you, and you're right. I'm like I said. I just try to, and I guess I'm telling on myself in my impulsiveness. Like I, I think I would have thrown all that to the mm-hmm. wind because, like, there's certain things where I draw the line, and that's that's a big one. Certainly, yeah. way way mm-hmm. across the line for me, and I, I, I would have said, well you know, forget everything else we're working on here. This guy needs to be taught mm-hmm. a lesson. And maybe that's the fault of my own. I don't know. But I, I would have a hard time watching that without jumping yeah, in. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And at first, you know, Hake doesn't even want him to perform. He's like, oh, I got a dulcimer that's coming in. And then, the, you know, uh, you know, and I, I don't, I don't need your, your talent. Or, you know, trying try to shove him off. And then he eyes the sword, you know, and, and changes his mind. Um, and it he keeps eyeing he, the sword, and, um, and then you know, thoughtfully eyeing Rand and Matt, his gaze clung <laughs> to the heron marked sword before he pulled it away. Tell you what, he said, finally, you can have a couple of pouts and an empty storeroom in the back. Rooms are too expensive to give away. You eat when everybody's gone. There ought to be something left. Like I had that highlighted because the minute I saw that sentence, I was like. Yep, dude's up to no good. Shit's about to go down. <laughs> yeah. He, yeah. He's about to rob him. Yeah. He's, like, in, 
he looks at it in dollar sign. So then you also see the two large bouncers uh, that they have um, uh, that, that, that Hake has as well, um, his, his muscle. Um, you know, and, and they go up to start performing, and, and of course, then Hake starts to eye the flute as well. And, all, and he gets more and more excited about all these things that he can obviously steal. Um, uh, but, you know, as they perform, the end starts to fill up. Um, and, and it kind of goes into this nice scene where, you know, the, the people are coming in, they're shouting, they're fighting over juggling and songs, and they're different names well, of songs. Say, like, before we go that far, you got to give it to Tom, our secret hero in the background, who is still alive and will be coming back soon. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Because he's yes, given these two skills that, you know, in the time that they spent on the river and the little bit of time they spent together, these boys have become artists. Like, and, you know, the thing is, is art is yeah. something that can be learned. We know it can be developed. So he realized that they had different skills. Um, but the thing that he did teach them was that they had the power to negotiate. Because though they ended up with the pallets, they got the greater tasting food. And they have literally made their way mm-hmm. fairly quickly towards Camelin, uh using the, the skill that they were provided or were taught. So, like... You know, I got to give it to to my my white mage in the background who will be back soon. The, the thiefish mage, <laughs> he's coming back. He will be back. I promise you. I promise you. <laughs> yes. Oh, there we go. Hashtag TT Dubs. So I appreciate Tom for the same thing. Uh, but also, uh, I mean, I, I have to give a nod to Lan for the same thing. And it might seem like a stretch. But for me, uh, and some of the training I've had and the way I was raised, uh, fighting, like real fighting, not fighting out of anger, but uh, fighting wrestling. I grew up wrestling. And I've taught combatives um, and restraints for the military and whatnot. But fighting is a dance. And dance is nothing without music, and music is nothing uh, without rhythm, and it, and it all kind of blends together. So all of these skills being taught, uh, Rand being taught how to use the sword by land, and being able to play the instrument, it might sound like a leap or a little cheesy, but it, it all kind of blends together for me. Like these are not necessarily mutually exclusive skills. And then I, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, so there we go. Just kind of sure. building on that, Ian. Um, I had like flashbacks to um, when they were knocking on Master Hightower's door and you get Lan who casually, you know, pulls back his cloak and rests his hand on like, and then you his have sword hilt doing that. Uh, during the negotiation. <laughs> yeah, 100%. So like everything yeah. he's like picking back yeah. up is like, yeah, just a beautiful symmetry of... Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. it- it's a dance. And then before we right. go back yeah. to your point... Um, did anybody else notice that Tinker in the kitchen was brought up again? <laughs> right. Uh, so I'm wondering uh, yeah. if these, these songs yeah. have anything to do with the, the series, whether or not these songs actually have some stories that hold some secrets or power to them. So I think as we go along, I mean, they keep bringing these songs up. Okay. Um, and as I see the titles, they keep flashing my mind, like maybe there's something more to them. The two Kings came hunting um, I believe it was another one that I saw. So, 
Um, I think that was pretty yep. interesting that we keep getting okay. these songs, so they must be part of Legend. Um, so there's that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then going to your point, it says Hawk smiled when he looked at Rand and Matt. After a while, Rand realized Hawk was not smiling at them. The smiles came when he uh, his eyes slid between them to where the hair marked sword lay. Once when Rand set the gold and silver chase flute down beside mm-hmm. his stool, the flute got a smile too. I had that highlighted in red because it's like, ching, there we go, dollar signs. <laughs> and then <laughs> Rand goes to Matt and he's like, yo, he's trying to rob us. And Matt's like, I don't give a damn, I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Typical Matt. Typical Matt. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, Rand, Rand does tell tell Matt, you know, I think I think Hank's trying to rob us. He's like, yeah, no shit, <laughs> but you know, I'm, I am hungry. <laughs> He's like, but you know, we're tra- we're trying to stay here, but uh, and they're also trying to make a plan while they're on stage. So like, they're like, well, maybe we'll just eat and we'll stay at the back. And and of course, this is not really working that well because if you're on stage, it's really tough to try to make a <laughs> escape elaborate plan <laughs> in front of an entire crowded room. Everybody uh, that's knows where you are. The, the, yeah, and everybody's looking at you because you're the performers. Um, but then they then they notice that yeah, there's one man that's not stood like out the in every way uh, amongst <laughs> the crowd in the dancing department. Merchants apparently had no use for the rundown inn. There weren't <clears throat> so there were not even any private dining rooms for them, as far as he could make out. The patrons were all roughly dressed with the tough skin of men who labored in the sun and wind. This man was sleeky, fleshy with a soft look to his hands and a velvet coat and a dark green velvet cloak lined with blue silk was slung around his shoulders. All of his cloths had an expensive cut to them. His shoes, soft velvet slippers, not boots, were not made for the rough rough streets of Four Kings or any other streets at all, for that matter. Excuse me, and it was rutted streets. So there you go, like, (laughs) he was definitely out of place easily yeah. recognized and nobody wanted to be near the man <laughs> so I, I know you you find out you've got to read through the whole chapter but first impressions of this guy when you're reading it first time through i was hopeful that maybe uh he was a good guy that's being overly generic, but somebody like I would like at this point, they've had so much shit happening to them. I'm like, all right, give them a break. And then, and then my mind went down this like wild spiral of, all right, maybe Tom, cause we have all these conspiracies about Tom, Chris and I, maybe Tom is part of this secret guild that uh, even if he did pass away or didn't pass away, it doesn't matter. Maybe this guy is part of that guild and he's going to continue on with the teachings that Tom used to give him. And like, I don't know. I I set myself up. I set myself up. I got, I'll be honest with you. I had that slight glimmer of hope literally for a moment. And then like another idea came into my mind. It's like, maybe he's a slave trader. Like if if, uh, if oh, I'm somebody oh, in Hawk's oh. position and I've got these two talented kids here who I can clearly overpower, I'm gonna rob them blind and I'm gonna sell them to a slave trader. Because like, okay, oh, yeah. so you just like, I mean, this, I'm a, like there was like <laughs> casual dark and then there was like all the way. 
And you just tell you exactly where I'm going with it. Like if I'm going to go halfway, yeah. I'm going to go all the way. Like I'm not going to kill them. I'm not going <laughs> to kick them out and so they can go open their mouths. No, I'm robbing them and I'm selling them. Like they're good sized kids. They got some skills. They're pretty useful. Oh yeah. No, we're making all the money we can off of these guys. <laughs> Uh, yeah so <laughs> anyway <laughs> moving on um so yeah he, well, he explains he explains when 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 this guy mr goad comes in he came into the end he looked around was about to turn back away and then he stopped and came back in took a seat and he ordered a drink but he's not drinking anything and that well first time i read that that's my first tell tell slides if I never trust a person. Bad guy. Yeah. Um, so they, they end up taking a break from their, I guess they have a set break. Yeah. I guess, you know, when you're, even when you're <laughs> performing at, uh, under at duress. Edge, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, to go get a bite to eat and, and Hank comes back out and it's like, Hey, what are you guys doing? You need to get back on stage. It's like, if you want to pass out up there, you know, and you know, we need a bite to eat. So, Agrees to let him go back there, but of course, um, uh, has the bouncer back there with him. So, you know, Rand wants to run. <laughs> Matt just wants to eat. <laughs> and, and now we're back. You gotta in the, feel in, the fire. In, yeah. Um, so you know, and and they overhear the the servants talking about the merchant as well. So. <laughs> yeah. So that that much more sketchy. The the servants talking about how well first how filthy rich this guy is, right? So really, he could have gone anywhere he wanted. But also, they talk about uh, he came in last second uh, after dark and shitty weather, and somebody like somebody like that, excuse me, should have been able to plan that out better. And of all the places he picked, he picked this place, which even even the help it, they sarcastically laugh, which uh, mm-hmm. emphasizes the point that this is the crappiest place he could have gone to. So it right. just puts that much more emphasis on on this guy. Uh, it's intentional that he's there, <laughs> and then combine it with. Uh, you know, said maybe Matt- he thought here was the most comfortable, which brought a gale of laughter. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, so exactly. It, so everybody's in on it. They're like, okay, yeah. There's some. There's some other reason that he's here. Um. Mm-hmm. And so Matt had the Matt and Rand had the initial encounter with the innkeeper who looks past them and is looking at their things, their stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. I look at that sword, look at that flute, blah, 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 blah. But this guy comes in and he wants to stay, but it has nothing to do with their things. He's making eye contact with them. He's interested in Matt and Rand and he's there intentionally. So this is where my, as I'm reading it, you know, obviously red flags going up. Uh, Mm-hmm. He's intentionally seeking them out. And so far, everybody that's done that has been up to What kills me is this Rand yep. has the right thought process, but doesn't attack it 100%. Like, if I was in this, I would have been like, hey, Matt, let's go check something out. I, Matt with me, we would have hightailed it out. Because it says he... he um, he goes in and he looks at the coach doors and you can see the name Hal Goad on it. And he's like, Oh no, this is not a good thing. But he already left. Like he was already out. If he had just taken Matt with him for that moment, 
that was their out. They could have escaped right then and there. So they still got a lot of learning to do. Like you should, you know, buddy system. We learned that in elementary school. You should stay buddy up and you guys should have split. Right. Oh, man. Because he got caught. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Matt was buddied up, but Matt was buddied up with his bowl of food. Yes, and you, you weren't going to pull him away from that at this point. So, yeah. Yeah. So did you yeah. um did you guys pick up on like the way that Goad was dressed that it was from Whitebridge before you kind of like went back out and saw like the carriage and then had that flashback to like when the boys were getting off of the spray with Bale Doman and when they saw like all of the merchant carriages waiting um in Whitebridge? No, I mean I thought obviously more well to do than anybody that typically travels that area or especially goes to that inn, but I didn't make the white bridge connection until Rand went out and checked the coach. And so mm-hmm. I, yeah. yeah. And that's, I mean, like yeah. Jordan, Jordan gets a lot of flack for his writing and like how much description he puts into like clothes and bodices and lace and just um, all of that stuff. But like rereading the series for, I don't know, the 10th time now you kind of go back and like little details like that, like just like the, the velvet slippers and like the coat and the description and all of these things. Like, I think you can really see Jordan's intention and like that every word truly is important and the descriptions of the clothes, like they do say a lot. So it's uh sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Verbose, <laughs> but necessary. <laughs> and Chuck, you just said, yeah, they got to the yard, see the, see the stable, the carriages in the stable. And then on the way back in, yeah, well, the bouncers, I think it was, yeah. was strong. Mm-hmm. Stop some. That was Jack. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other one. I have a 50 50 shot. I don't have it in front of me. I just picked one. Wait. We, we can edit, say it again, and, and be like, it was Jack, right? I think. Yeah. It was, it was, it was Jack, right? I think. Yeah. Right. Jack. Yeah. It was Jack. You're good. All right. All right. Cool. Cool. Yeah. See, I knew it was fine. <laughs> Locking the door. And uh, by the way, it's going to have a set. So yeah, and the bouncer's uh, blocking the door and um, on the way in and starts, you know, commenting on the sword, say, you know, doesn't believe it's his, and they're taking bets on, you know, how he got it. Um, you know, and 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 Rand obviously knows that this this is going down tonight. There's you know, if they don't find a way out of here that they're gonna get robbed, oh, if, if not killed. Like, you know, me and Strum got a bet. He said he figures you stole that sword from your old grandmother. <laughs> He said, me, I figured your grandmother picked you around the pig pen and hang you out to dry. <laughs> it's just nice long yet, boy. So you're right. Like, as soon as you read all that, you're like, like, just that pit in your stomach. Like, it's, oh, my goodness. It's not if it's going to happen. It's just when is it going to happen. So. And Matt remains aloof to life. Sure. He comes in and he's like, so, yeah, he's from Whitebridge. And Matt's yeah. like, oh, okay. Still have a piece of beef at the end of his fork. He's like, eh, eh, I'm going <laughs> to finish this food real quick. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then Rand says, you know, I think he might be a dark friend. Um, but before they could talk more, Hick comes comes back in and tell him to get back on stage. Um, that people get upset. So... Um, and, and when they go back in, you obviously see Goat is happy to see them again. So, um, and, uh, creepy. Uh, creepy, creepy, creepy. Um, you could tell that he was a little bit restless that they had left, but yeah. Um, 
so they're trying to figure out how to get out of the situation. Um, it kind of goes on throughout the rest of the night. Um, and, and whenever they make eye contact with Goat, like he's a creepy again, he gets <laughs> abused. Um, so, <laughs> you know, Goat's now smiling at them, getting little smirks, which is even more <laughs> creepy. So it goes back to your old slave trade. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how much, uh, how much the boys like yeah, him. I'm wondering uh, like how often this uh, but... <laughs> little trick has been run on people because – you know, um, Ram makes the observation. He said he had never realized before what a good trap an end made. Kate, Jack, and Strom didn't even have to keep a close eye on them. The crowd would let them know if he or Matt left the dais. As long as the common room was full of people, Hawk could not send mm-hmm. uh, Jack and Strom after them. But as long as the common room was full of people, they could not get away without Hawk knowing. And he said, and Goad was watching their every move, too. It was so funny you would have to laugh if he didn't if he had not been on the point of throwing up. They would just have to be wary and wait their chance. So it's like they're they're screwed. There's no other way of putting it. Yep. Yep. It's kinda like a game of shoots and ladders. Like once the cards are shuffled and put on the board, that you know it's it's a predetermined destination, like it's it's going to happen. Right. So the, the wheel is turning. Well, they just got to go along for the speaking ride. Speaking of that, I mean, they, literally, you know, yeah. everything was done and all you had was gold left. And it's like, all right, guys, let's take you to your room. <laughs> your sweet, yep. sweet pilots. <laughs> yeah. So they, they go this creepy, creepy way to a room. It's at the end of a super long, dark hallway that they can barely see anything through. It's pitch black. Um, you know, the entire time, random matter thinking about how to run away, but there really is no way. You know, they tell them to go first, thinking there's a way out, but really they they come to the, you know, uh, the conclusion that there's really no way to get out of there. And they get to the storeroom and you get the description of this dusky, run down, really kind of fallen apart storeroom that there's not really much stored there. And the pellets are actually there, which <laughs> Rand's actually surprised. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and, and um and, and surprised that nothing happens. You know, he just says, you know, hey, here's your pellets, like I promised. And even <laughs> well, even the, the bouncers look surprised too. Him so, nervous. Um, he wouldn't try anything until we're sound asleep. So we know that the mm-hmm. hair mark sword has real meaning and that it's recognized still in the world. So I'm wondering whether or not um we ever meet the people who, you know, are crafty at using the sword or able to use the sword properly. And maybe Rand learned some ball and sword play. Oh, maybe. (laughs) 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 That was a. I think there's a couple layers because Aaron is forthcoming with information tonight. It's not for you. (laughs) This is her night to talk. You're supposed to be quiet. Sure, sure. So Alan, Alan responds with sure, and Aaron's yeah. response is, hmm, huh, maybe, maybe. Yeah. I know, I brainstormed a couple of responses with oh, Zool before Lord. coming on. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, what should I go with? Like, cool, 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 cool. cool. Yeah. Every once in a while, just drop a, holy shit, that's amazing. How did you, how did you come up with that? Oh, that's great. Uh. Um, 
I actually I well, do have a question for uh, for Ian and Chris as you guys are reading through this because um, this was actually posed recently in Nablus's Discord, um, and I hadn't thought of it like this before. But there's a thing on the internet that counts how many times uh, characters get captured uh, during the series, and so this um, point where the boys are put in the pallet room is counted as both Matt and Rand being captured. And I never saw it. Like, I know, like, they they felt trapped, but I never really saw it as, as being captured. But now, in my most recent reread, preparing for this episode, it definitely felt that way to me. So I was wondering, like, during your very first read of the series, if that's kind of how you, how you saw it, or if you saw it as something different, like, especially with the bars on the window kind of preventing them from well, going anywhere in the guard at the end of the hall. I'd say absolutely, but I would back it up to what Chris read earlier about when Rand had the realization about how uh, being at an inn and playing like they were was, I mean, they, they were stuck right. there. There was no way they could leave. There was no way out. So trapped, yes, but it happened long before they got to that barred room. Gotcha. Rand, Rand was just... Mm-hmm letting the hand play itself out at that point, but he was already committed. Uh, for uh, me, like trapped yeah. and captured are two different words. Yep. They're, they're variable levels. Okay. Um, so not in captured, but trapped at this point, like there's still opportunity to fight back. If we backtrack a few uh, chapters and we look at Perrin and Egwene, they were captured. There was no fighting back. They had the opportunity mm-hmm. to plead their case. Right. Um, but right. but they're in chains. Like they cannot fight back. They cannot retaliate. Right. Versus yeah. um, Rand and Matt, they do have opportunity. You know, when you got two people whose backs are to you, if it were me and I knew where I was headed, maybe I would try to use that sword and just go ahead and take care of some business and see where where my, my hand is dealt. You know? <laughs> I'm not opposed to backstabbing <laughs> if I'm. <laughs> <laughs> if it means I'm going to save my own life, you know what I mean? And, you know, Matt had his dagger and he still had his bow. Yeah, I would have, Matt, drop back, you know, pull your bow out. And because the bow could still be effective as long as you get enough distance to draw and fire. Um, so, you know, and of course, sure. they're not war hardened boys or farm boys. They're not thinking like this. They're sheepish. Um, so, <laughs> um, I don't count this as being uh, captured. I just count it as being trapped. Because there's like, they're not physically con- like confined. Would that be a good, like, even though they kind of say. And, they're, and this, they still have weapons, right. weapons. And like, it wasn't like, cool. yeah. Like if you're, you're not. Like it's one thing if you put in a cell, yeah. but you know what? people get I mean, put in a cell with a sword with oil and fire. <laughs> you know, like like literally, you got one guard guy oh. guarding you. I would have thrown it right on him. The oil would have broken on him. The fire would have lit up on him, and we would have been running right past. Damn right, it's like Mazel Tov cocktail, baby. What an answer! We would have made it out of there. Good, 
All right. So. Hopefully that answers your simple question. No, it did. Like, yeah. that, like um, the fan base, like even people who have read this multiple times were like, it was, it was uh, not a heated debate, but certainly um, it went back and forth kind of like with the two perspectives. So I don't I think there is it. a definitive answer. I was just kind of curious on your <laughs> initial take. I like it. So, <laughs> so yeah, so, so they get into this room. Rand wants to block the door. They find some some splitting wedges um, for splitting fl- splitting wood, and they're able to shove them underneath the door to kind of bar the door. But they realize the windows are barred, as we talked about, and they're they're not budging. Um, which I feel like this is like, you know, uh, it, it's dumb. There, there's a lot of plot armor in the scene. <laughs> let me let me let me. Talk about my feelings. <laughs> like, like this room has nothing in it except for just what they need. Like, there's nothing to block. Oh, there's some random wood splitting, and then some random crowbar. Just uh, yeah, there we go. Like, like I, feel, I feel like I'm in an escape room, and they they purposely put some you items in here to let you try to get the storeroom. There would be. This is the OG escape room. Crowbar because you're opening boxes and stuff in here. So the the wood splitters like that yeah. was the one oddity True. in the room for me. I was like, no, I don't get that. The crowbar I can justify. Yeah, no. the wedges. Eh, I mean, they yeah, the wedges. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I also got the feeling that this probably isn't the first time that uh, Hake and his goons. Uh, have taken a group of folks to stay in that area just to rob them and later. Rob them. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. the intention all along was to rob them, and it was probably just more of a last-minute take weighing it, going, no, we actually made good money off them, and I don't think he cared about the heron mark. He just noticed the sword, and he's like, it's not really, I don't really want to deal with the fight. Someone might get, uh, mm-hmm. fuck it, we're just going to not fuck with them and let him go. But I, I feel yeah. like this has been done before and this is part of their plan and that room's been right. used for mm-hmm. it. Hence, hence the ironclad bars. Well, then maybe those wedges were used that to put on like the end that. of handles and <laughs> take people apart. Now we just... Let's just have to keep with the baba beans and a nice Chianti. Yeah. Well, and our next tequila and nobody to hug is a bad combination for me. What can I do with these wedges in a human body? So, on that note, I'm going to fast for 24 hours, and during that fast, I'm going to pray for this. Uh, I need some action. <laughs> that got real. Uh, uh, I'm in a fucking forever. Remember, if you're listening to this three years from now, just remember we've been in quarantine. We've been in quarantine for a while, so it's affecting us. <laughs> and three years later, Chris eventually got them. <laughs> uh, Blight is talking shit to you, Chris. <laughs> oh man. 
book are we reading? What is what is going on? Apparently, here? it's a little bit of BDSM, according to Chris. <laughs> but like <laughs> next, next show, next show, next show. It's a goat. So yes, so, I thought it was yeah. that he insisted that the lamp stay uh, because the lamp plays a role at the very end of the chapter. Uh, okay. Yeah. No, that's just I'm desperately trying to transition. Take over that <laughs> yeah. All right. So they get the they get the sh- the door shut. Uh, they're they're sitting there. They're trying to break the between the lightning strikes and the thunder, trying to wedge the window open. And um, next thing you know, you hear the door move. Um, and they think it's Hake, and they say, you know, try, we're trying to sleep. Go away. And it's not Hake. It's not the innkeeper. It's Goad. So um, let's talk about this conversation. Um, you know, he immediately Master made himself Hake a dark friend. and trouble us. They yeah. sleep soundly. And in the morning, they will only be able to wonder where you vanished to. Let me in, my young friends. We must talk. So I'm wondering... Did he use magic or did he use poison? If he used magic, then why couldn't he just open the door using magic? So, you know, I know that's not really important, but in the same vein, what type of powers or control or what what do the dark friends harness? Like that they're evil, but we, and we know there's different levels to the dark friends. Um, in regards to the minions, but here we have a human dark friend and I'm wondering, does he possess a power or is he just a follower that's dedicated and is he visited the same way Matt and Rand are by Beelzebub? Mm. Yeah, mm. so you know, a lot of thoughts went through my and head. Dreams like, and stuff. You know, <laughs> he found them, but you know, how did he know that he was even looking for them? How is this network connected is it like that hive mentality like we talked about before regarding the fade and the trolloc? Um, is that something that the entirety of the network has? Like, are they using 5G to, like, talk to each other? <laughs> <laughs> so advanced 5G, like dark friend shit? <laughs> uh, but, you know, the voice come back and say, we don't have anything to talk exactly. to you about. Go away and let us sleep. Really? You thought that was going to work? You got a guy who was outright a dark friend, and this is your comment. Like, I'm like, Matt, I should have more Thank between the ears. <laughs> and that's Ian, that's Ian's boy, but I'm like, that was not a very. I guess it's all you could do in that matter. <laughs> you hit the nail right there. Like, that's all you could do at that point. Like, they realize they're, they're stuck, they're at a dead end. Uh, as of right now, as far as they know, the only way they can get out is to work their way back out that door down the hallway, which now this dude is there. So you got to try and get him to leave. He hasn't totally revealed himself quite yet as being this dark friend douche. She's like, eh, go away. Uh, but then go just wasn't very subtle about it. Just jumps well, right in about see, who he not is. Not only is he a dark friend, but he's like a rich That he's child. after them like... Like every one of his fingers is covered in gold rings. Yeah. Like if yeah. you go back and read the description. So, you know, like this mm-hmm. shit doesn't face him. Like you boys yeah. are going to listen oh. to me. You know, your little farm boys. So it, it's, you've got a person that's elevated in power in his mind because 
he's a dark friend that's been chosen for this particular task and he's got money so he's got status and then a self sense mm-hmm. of importance which you know how that can be yeah that entitlement though yeah and he, st- he starts out you know making some pretty bold offers you know he offers him to be dreadlords which we've learned from previous chapters that's pretty high up yeah you know, in a, in this high so up gonna, like, do you guys do you have any thoughts uh, on what dreadlords are we talked about it uh telling to the wheel yeah. briefly um in that episode um well, there, there's the hierarchy, yeah, just... uh, the chain of command, mm-hmm. if you will. So we were talking about Trollocs, and above that is the Fade, and above them is the mm-hmm. Dreadlord. Is that? Right. And so they right. all have and above influence. Them, yeah, yeah. Right, right. And they have influence and power on those beneath them. And so with this, we talked about that. Right. With yeah, like, the with, connections, the hive mind. With this one, because he's saying like you I guys mean, would be the new Dreadlords, so. I mean, right. I mean, they're they're offering upper level management, like right off the gate. Chris getting being promoted to dreadlord. Yeah, exactly. It's like Chris <laughs> jumping, you know, <laughs> guy who teaches by strength assistant by principal. Know. You know, that's, that's... <laughs> but Rand, but Rand, Rand is holding out for savior of all of mankind, so he swallowed hard and said. We don't know what you're talking about. Leave us alone. <laughs> and I like At least the, that's the, the, the right. conversation that was, that was before. The and of course, we have things to talk about. You know that as well as I. I saw it in your eyes. I know what you are perhaps better than you do. I can feel it coming from you in waves. Already, you're half, you half belong to my master. Stop running and accept it. Things will be much easier for you if the, well, we don't care about that. <laughs> or at least I don't. Reading that portion, in my mind, this is where the the cynical, but um, I need information. I'm a nosy person. I, I can't help it. If I were in that situation and I knew that yeah. he wasn't actively trying to get into the room at that time, I don't know that I would have allowed that conversation to end. We have two people that are trying to find out more about who they are. I mean, they had an Aes Sedai visit them. And then she told them she's going to take them to Tarvalon. Mm-hmm. There's no in-between as to why. They're traveling. They're seeing magic. They're being chased. They've been seeing uh, uh, fake death because Tom is still alive. Like, you have all this stuff going on around you in a matter of a month. Like, <laughs> feed the guy's ego. Get information. Like, the best thing you can do in yeah, any situation yeah. is tactical advancement is to assess what is going on so that you can make an informed decision as to what your next step of action is going to be. And I'm not a uh, tactician, this guy, no, Ian is. So I think you would probably agree with me in saying they didn't play this one well. (laughs) No, absolutely. There was an opportunity to play your cards a little bit differently, continue the conversation, stroke his ego. Like you said, this is obviously somebody Looking at his rings, this, that, and the other, you you could have, you could have stroked his ego in such a way to get information out of him, but they they didn't even bother. Mm-hmm. And, and you're right, there's yeah. there's no reason you couldn't have the conversation with the door still shut. And just be like, okay, we're a little nervous, but maybe you could tell yeah, us I mean, a little bit a little bit more to, yeah, to let me trust you. Like, like he's like, stop giving foolish my young friends. Like he's <laughs> exactly. already trying to feed you. He's like, you know, you know very well. The great Lord of the Dark has marked mm-hmm. you for His own. It is written that when he awakes, the new dreadlords 
will be there to mm -hmm. praise him. So now we know there's this big belief, and I guess this is where we have the prophecy coming into play, that he will awake, and he's going to need his army of dreadlords ready to be there. You two must be one of them, um, else I would not have been sent to find you. Think of it, life everlasting and power beyond dreams. Mm -hmm. So I, I find it interesting that Jordan uses the term power beyond dreams, because we've seen a lot of power occurring within mm. dreams, be it Bialzaman doing different things, or even the boys being able to manipulate dreams and having outcomes in the real world. So I don't know if that was a play on words in Jordan's mind. I don't know if he really thought that far into it, but sure. literally the boys have seen all this power within their dreams that have come out in the sense of like the rats with their backs broken. Um, or just like the feeling of the eye hurting when they woke up or marks on the body. But hearing that, reading, hearing, reading that, but I can hear it in my mind, <laughs> reading that, I'm like, power beyond dreams. I would have been intrigued. I would have had to definitely play into that um, and just get more information. For sure. Agreed. Yeah. I concur. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And he said, beautiful. I tire of this. You will yeah. submit to my master, to your master, and you will be made to, or you will be made to submit. So it's almost like there's already a sense of ownership. Like the boys, it's part of their destiny to mm -hmm. submit. He said that would, mm -hmm. exactly. And he uses the term, the great Lord of the right. dark rules death, and he can give life <laughs> and death or yeah. death and life as he chooses. Mm -hmm. Open this door one way or another. Well, we don't care about that. But at the end of the day, the the, the idea that he can give life and death, yeah. death and life as he chooses, just speaks to the power that Bialsman holds over his followers. It's almost like, you know, uh, akin to Jesus or something, where like literally he has the power to, you know, Mm -hmm. bring you to life he is your salvation um and it may I mean he can physically manifest maybe he's uh got oh what's the word for it when you have power over death um necromancy like maybe there's some of that type of power involved too so mm -hmm. yeah well, yeah, especially. Anakin, if you come, if you come <laughs> to the dark side, if you come to the dark side, I will say Padme. Um, well, yeah, I mean, like going back to even the prologue and um, everything mm -hmm. that Elon Morin is uh, telling Luce Theron about being able to bring back Ilyena and like the power that the, yeah. the Dark Lord has. Um, just kind of like, you know, you heard that at the beginning and then you get that mm -hmm. the, being reiterated by this like, yeah, then we get to two... friend of the dark. <laughs> we the get Vel to the Velveteen <laughs> friend. Well, here's the thing: they just Matt keep was dangling weak the carrot. This. A lot I, of temptation. Say, Matt disappointed me. No, so once they start, or oh, that's when Matt comes in and says, <laughs> "Yeah, he <laughs> says, yeah. maybe we should just say, I mean, get away yeah. later." <laughs> <Let him watch. laughs> There's no way out. Oh. <laughs> Matt, Matt oh, deserves the biggest next. Maddie C. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you think it would have been that easy to just say yes and get away later? That 
I don't know. That, that actually would have been my strategy at that point, kind of going along with what Chris was saying. Oh God, you really are. I would have. I would have encouraged the conversation <laughs> a little bit more. I would have buttered him up. I would have played to his ego. I would have even thrown my friends under the bus at that point and be like, God, I'm so glad we ran into you. Like, yeah, you're right. We ran into this Aes Sedai and she's filling us with all this bullshit. And I didn't know what to believe. But like, I'm glad you're here to, you know, tell me like what the real deal is. Like, let's talk about this just enough to get out of the end and then I'd have busted out the sword and the dagger and the bow and lit <laughs> shit up. But I, I would have, once I knew I wasn't going to break the bars open, I would have tried to be a little bit sneaky until I found an opening. Right. Even with an so unknown. Matt had a yeah, point. Even with an unknown amount of men in the hallway with Goad, because you didn't know how many yeah. men he was able to fit in the two carriages. Remember, yeah. at this moment, you can't, you you can't know that in a paragraph Rand is about to have another boom moment. <laughs> so so before the boom, um, you're you're at the end of the road. There's literally nowhere else to go, and you can't mm-hmm. get that window open. So it it's like I don't know uh, when when I was a kid and I was scared of monsters. I wouldn't talk myself out of it by like saying there are no monsters. I'd be under the blanket talking to myself, going, "Okay, if a monster actually shows up." I'll make friends with him. I'll pretend oh we're best God. buddies and he could teach me his monster race. Like that's how I like psychologically got through this. Matt is on to something. I'd be like, oh yeah, we could go scare other kids together. Look at my scary face. Like, bam. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you you read where the things are way exactly. too much, didn't you? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh man. Anyways, boom. So yes, yeah, so find a way out. He's freaking out, and suddenly the room just fills up with light, and Ray gets tossed back against the wall. And um, yeah, so next thing you know, the ears are ringing, the walls all gone, there's smoke everywhere. It's uh, yeah, it's chaotic. But, so. Let's talk about that. <laughs> I would say not a random strike of lightning. Mm. Uh, right before it happens, you know, this is where Matt was saying, well, if we don't have any choice, yada, yada, yada. But then he, the last thing he says is we could say yes and we could get away. Blood and ashes ran. There's no way out. And that's one of the last words spoken. And the words seem to drift to Rand, blah, blah, blah. No way out. No way out. Have to find a way out. And then boom. Uh, and remember when Moraine was talking to, Nynaeve? was it uh, Nynaeve? Yeah, Nynaeve about, mm-hmm. um, you know, the first time she might have touched the power mm-hmm. and how it normally happens. And she talked to Egwene about it. And this, and it's, it's you, when you're at a point where something needs to happen, when there's a moment of desperation and then luck just happens to you know, fall in your favor. Like that was the first moment you touched it. So like, this was one of those moments where Rand was cornered and no way out, no way out. I could just see his head spinning and then boom, um, the lightning flashes. So this to me is, is Rand tapping into that and having his boom moment, like on the boat well, yeah, and getting no saved way out. last mm-hmm. second. Have to find a way out, yeah. a way out. Mm-hmm. And 
that and but see that last statement was very panicky with exclamation mm-hmm. like he that was a command so like <gasps> he's you know not oh. no way out oh. so there's the panic yeah. moment yeah. have to find a way out which is a, a, a searching for a feeling or searching for a way and then he says you know in that moment of desperation a way out and he, with that exclamation, he's making a command or he's making a, a statement of, of importance. So it's like you have to purposefully put mm-hmm. meaning behind what you're saying. And it says, light filled the room, flooding vision, and the air roared and burst. Rand felt himself picked up and dashed against the wall. So it's just explaining when the lightning hit. Or it's an assumption that lightning hit, but we don't quite know what the power was or where it came from. So, well, you know, we're sure. making this right. assumption. Um, right. But then also the I... importance of the lamp, the lamp lying on its side on the edge of one of the few shells still clinging to the wall, still burned and gave light. All the barrels and crates, some blackened and smoldering lay top where they had been hurled, that the importance of the light, he said he felt like he had to put put the light straight. I think that this is one of those like ideas of the elemental magic. Like he drew his power from the lantern, but also the lantern is giving light where there's shadow. So maybe that's warding off an enemy. We know that um, <laughs> the 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 light does cast shadows, it also will, you know, essentially give you moments of peace in that and so i kind of took it two ways there with the lantern i'm not quite sure which one is right be it elemental power he received power from fire or if it's just like wanting to make sure that there's light in the shadow to make sure that the fade wasn't able to get him like maybe there's the fear there and that you know was quieted by this light so there's just so much running through my mind with this because it's a quick scene I read it so fast, I had to read it two or three times. But at the same time, it's like, damn. (laughs) Well, maybe maybe, uh, Tam's teaching finally crept in on him. What was it? You you focus on the single flame? The flame in the void, yeah. And and the void, the flame in the void. Think about that. So. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Our, bo- our boy's Matt's alive, you know, but he's blinded. Uh, blinded by the- <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Someone had to do that. If it wasn't you, it was going to be alive. Been Chris. He's got like the, the silky vocal cords. <laughs> Good job. Was that man for man? For, man, for man? Uh, I think it's the uh, Anyway. So, um, so they run out into the night. Goat's men are all dead. Um, Rand chalks it up to luck, or is it? And uh, kind of, we kind of end the, yeah, we kind of end the chapter here with Rand running down the street. And they look back and they see a man shaking his fist in the sky, um, and doesn't really see. It could be Hake, could be Goad. They don't know, but they're getting the hell out of there. That's the end of this chapter. So, any thought? Um, so if I could just like kiss Robert Jordan's ass real quick because. I adore this man. Sure, go for it. Um, <laughs> so I am very partial to like uh, 18th century romantic literature and later. Um, and just 
Jordan's use of like pathetic fallacy during this entire scene. Um, so pathetic fallacy is like when the outside world parallels the turmoil within one's own mind. So the entire time in the Four Kings, you know, Rand has this feeling of apprehension. The town doesn't feel right. And then as the night goes on and like that apprehension and unease increases, so too does the storm outside. So you get like the the mm. beating rain on the top of the inn and like the the thunder and the lightning. And it just continues to increase throughout the evening as all of these events are building. And I just... Uh, it has nothing to do like really with the story. It's just like that world building that Jordan's creating. Um, so that combined with like the physiognomy where the outer reflects the inner, we've got like that, the innkeeper, um, like Hake being like a bony man with long stringy hair to his shoulders. And like the town itself is described as like a scruffy town. Um, a scruffy town to bear mm. like the name of like four kings. I just like the descriptors are so good, and it just like definitely um, gets you in that mindset. And uh, you can tell the baddies by their like the the sharp contrast from having someone like um, Hake, who is like this bony, stringy, gross man, to the sleekly fleshy um, Howell Goad is just like. I think that's Jordan at its finest, right? Where he's been leading you on the entire yeah. time to like, don't trust people who are like ugly and gross and disgusting with yellow teeth. And then you have um, Howell Goad, who's like, I mean, he's he a little pudgy, but he's fine. I think it was a direct quote. Um, yeah. <laughs> and just yeah. like, he turns out to be like a hundred times worse than um, Hake. Oh, right. Yeah. So it's just like, just like Jordan yeah. guiding you on this. Like, I think there's a reason that Four Kings is a favorite among um, Wheel of Time fans <clears throat> who have read the series, like, you know, upwards of 30 times. Uh, and it is just, I think it mm -hmm. comes down to Jordan's writing. And it's just, oh, it's such a, it's so gorgeous. And I'm so happy to have been able to read it with you guys because it's one of the greats. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, going to move on to the next chapter. So, All right, so moving on to chapter 33, The Dark Waits, which is a really ominous title for a chapter. Uh, you know, we had Four Kings and Shadow. And now we have The Dark Waits. Uh, and the icon or the chapter heading is a Heron Marked Sword, the hilt. So what do you guys think about the title and the icon? All right, so uh, I didn't even get past 33 because 33 was my – uh, that was my number in uh, football senior year, and we won state. <laughs> and I was focused on that, and you know we were fourteen and zero undefeated. So I stopped paying attention after that. I was just thinking about myself. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there we go. Well, congratulations. Yeah, it was, the, it was an exciting time. Was that Twenty years ago. <laughs> it was in fact <laughs> twenty years ago. <laughs> oh, man, happy two decades. That's awesome. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> don't 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 let Ian fool you. He was not some big football star. He was our kicker. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, the condescension! <laughs> Look, I still got the jacket. I got the ring. I got to skip school after that with the principal's permission. So right, right, it all worked. Right. It all worked out. <laughs> we but we had like the greatest running back and the greatest quarterback in the entire state. So how many times did you actually kick? I mean, extra points, extra points. <laughs> oh, I was, I had a lot of extra points, no field goals. We went for it on the fourth down every time. 
<laughs> anyway, so for anybody here in actual listeners, we're talking about American football, which is um, uh, definitely uh, foreign to a lot of people, but it, uh, it's big here in the States. Yeah. <laughs> That's for your, your Swedish or your <laughs> yeah. Swedes, right? What's no, that? That's Sweden. What's what's the Swiss? Oh, the Swiss. The yeah, Swiss. For your new Swiss, Swiss listener. For your Swiss, Swiss listener. Right, right. Swissner. Yeah, listener. <laughs> yeah, we actually had a South African join our uh, Discord today, so that was kind of cool. But anyway, yeah. welcome. Um, so for me, looking at the sword, I mean, it just is what it is. We we've gone over it a few times. Mm-hmm. It, it marks. Yeah. Rand and the importance for Rand mm-hmm. at this point. Like I no longer have a feeling that it, it marks anything of utter importance. <laughs> so Rand's no. not important. At the moment, okay. no, not like not anymore because we've got Perrin developing nicely. We got a Glane developing nicely. Uh we even we've got Moraine kind of taking our wisdom down another path. So Rand's kind of like random matter that's just there. They're causing a lot of issue again. This has been fun <laughs> to follow, but yeah, that's like expected at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the title, The Dark Weights, I don't mm-hmm. I think a slight contradiction, uh, or what's the word I'm looking for? Um, partially sardonic. Paradoxical works too. I was going to go with sardonic, like situational sarcasm, because oh, yes. um, the dark is waiting, but the dark is impatient. And it's chasing, it's following, it's ahead of, it's everywhere at this mm-hmm. point. Uh, and sure. in my mind, when I looked at that title, I was like, so clearly every stop that they go to from this point, there's going to be a dark friend there trying to coerce them. Right. And it kind of goes back to like a couple of chapters ago where I was making fun of you guys for like everyone's dark friend. Well, apparently everyone is a dark friend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what we have learned, everyone is thanks, a dark friend. Thanks, Alan, for making me doubt myself. <laughs> yeah. So um, we start with the, you know, they're going on a cart down the road. Um, the towns are getting closer and closer together. So, you know, obviously we're getting closer to uh, Camelin. I mean, that, we're heading towards Camelin. It's the capital of Andor. Um it's where the queen is. We've, we've gotten all that. And whenever you're getting closer to a major city, you know, if you ever have gone from rural areas to city areas, as you get to the suburbs, you know, the towns get closer and closer and closer together until you're in the city. So um, that's a good um, indication that the towns are getting closer, that we're getting closer somewhere. So describe the villagers in the village. Um, Matt's super suspicious about merchants. And, and it kind of started the queen's guard uh, strolling by. And, um, and Rand doesn't recognize who they are. And uh, this, this guy who's driving <laughs> Master Kit is a little bit taken back by uh, they've never seen the Queen's Guard. They said, where are you from? And, and of course, immediately Rand goes, oh, we're from the two rivers. And Rand immediately regrets it. <laughs> like, Idiot. Why tell him that? Um, and you find out that two rivers is actually part of the realm, which surprised <laughs> the crap out of Rand. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk about all this, you know, that this this first scene with 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 Master Kenshin uh, on this on this cart, and and they're kind of just driving towards Camelin. Yeah. Well, I, I like to go back first. Um, oh, there's okay. a statement. It has to be the light. It has to be. Um, so we have this internal dialogue that Rand is having with himself. 
because I think he's now kind of realizing that there's been so many coincidences that occur at one time. And mm-hmm. so there's this dialogue that he's having with Matt regarding his eyes and are you able to see? And Matt's like, not much, not unless you uh, look almost right at the sun anyways, or, or excuse me, just talking about his condition. But then there's mm-hmm. just that internal monologue where it's just like now questioning what actually happened. And it's very brief, but it's still there. And it's italicized, so that automatically drew my, my attention to it. So we know that Rand's now having this realization that he might be a little bit different. And his little bit different may be beyond just seeing Bialzaman, but there's a recognition that maybe he is tapping into a power. And now I think he's trying to convince himself a little bit more, as he's done in the past, that he's not touching into anything dark, but he's not touching into the light. Mm-hmm. and maybe they're one and the same maybe we don't know maybe the wheel weaves maybe they're interlocking maybe it's all one source of power but at the same time he's really doubting himself and in this moment it doesn't seem like it's a big deal but that really stuck out to me and then we get to the queen's okay. guard passing and like you said this statement was made he was like you know how do you not know who the King's Guard are? And he's like, oh, we're from the Two Rivers. And he's like, that's far off, all right, almost to the border of the realm, but things must be worse than I thought if there's places in the realm where people do not recognize the Queen's Guard, not like the old days at all, and recognize is italicized um, because there's a level of importance to what the King's Guard once was and what it has become. So mm-hmm. we can see there's some dissension. We can see that um, the hierarchy is kind of beginning to break down. And I don't know if that's because there's been so many false dragons and the queen having to dedicate resources to fighting off all of these false dragons that, you know, the queen is mm-hmm. diminishing her, you know, her armies and such where they're so spread out that and they're having to fight these continual battles or if there's a growing lack of importance for the queen and the hierarchy. So, like, yeah. you know, there's not, there's not enough information here to draw or ascertain exactly what's going on, but it brings to light that there's not as much power for the royals as there once was. Huh. And it also points out how remote the Two Rivers actually is. I mean, people have heard of the Two Rivers, but it's it's way out there where you know if you if you know you think about medieval or you know with this you know you say medieval most people point to this this Renaissance era type of society um, versus versus medieval. But but anyway, any of those types of societies before modern society before industrial revolution, um, anything that's that far in the borderlands of your realm, you know some people might even know you're technically part of. The territory <laughs> like um you, th- you think about like the maximum um uh you know stretch of the roman empire uh, I, i'm pretty sure the par- parts of the roman empire didn't even know they were under roman rule um so before we started this recording uh i mentioned how this chapter even though it's quite long to me was kind of like a transition chapter 
it's it's kind of like uh, if you ever been tubing, you go through some rough rapids, and afterwards it gets kind of <laughs> calm, and you're just kind of going along, and you got more rapids coming, but until then you're sipping on your drink because you're like, oh, I'm gonna get some sun and hang out, um, and and. <clears throat> I think I think what messed me up is early on, like right when they start talking about the Queen's Guard and then realizing that the Two Rivers is right on the edge of the realm. Um, as a reader, my mind went off in Nana Land because immediately I thought about Monty Python, uh, Holy Grail, where <laughs> where they where they were going by. They went by the peasants, and they were like, "I didn't know we had a king. I thought we were an autonomous collective." The man. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're living in a dictatorship. Democracy. What's democracy? Yeah. So, like, that's where my mind's <laughs> going at this point. <laughs> yeah. I, right. So, I apologize up front. Uh, Chris will probably give really good points, and I will interject with stupid comments probably <laughs> referencing monty python and everybody will love and, what she has to say and hate what i have to say yeah no no oh no 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 but yeah everybody hates chris <laughs> oh no oh no 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 we love chris. we love chris oh i know i mostly do it's just being so self-deprecating we don't have You're a lord so friggin insightful chris <laughs> No, every, everyone hates Alan because I'm the dark friend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Also, I think sure. everybody hates Chris. It was with Chris Rock. It was just mm-hmm. putting that out. Oh yeah. Okay. So yeah, so Kitch stops the cart, um, and you know, says they're two days away from Camlin, uh, offers them a place to stay, but they refuse because they don't trust him. Um, you know, Matt's really upset when he mentions dark friends. Um. And, and yeah, and then I think we at this point you realize Rand's also sick as well. Yeah, that mentions that. Yeah. So, so I don't know if you had any thoughts about any of that that interaction there, but that was kind of. Well, yeah, there's that thought. It's like two days. We'll see you in Camelin. Least it would if your friend had his legs under him. You can rest up a day or two mm-hmm. at my place if you want. Won't miss anything in that time, I suppose. Whatever sickness you're getting over a young fellow well the woman and me we've already had about every sickness you can think of before you were born and nursed our younglings through them too i expect you passed the catching stage anyway so you know there's matt's eyes narrowed and ran caught himself frowning not everyone is part of it it can't be everybody so now we have that doubt that's settling in on rand and we're seeing rand's perspective we haven't really got gotten into uh Matt's mind yet, which is funny. I think that um, the very fact that Jordan chooses not to uh, entertain Matt's inner inner monologue is interesting. Um, and I think that has to do with future mm-hmm. character development for Matt. Um, before I go on to the chapter, I have to give this thought. Like I, I gave the the thought that Matt's changing as a person and maybe more death is taking over. So I think in order for us to have a full gravity of this change, we have to give a lot more depth to Matt as a character. And we can't do it when we have all of this traveling occurring, because I think that change, um, though it's taking effect gradually is going to hit him so hard. And it's going to be at his core so much that in future chapters, we're going to see Jordan really take some time to develop Matt as, as a character. 
and we're going to have a couple of back-to-back chapters, um, maybe with two or three in between, developing other characters, maybe like our wisdom. I can see that you know the, the group may link up here soon. Two or three more may, may gather in one place. Um, <clears throat> and then we'll see some underdeveloped characters really start to take the forefront. Um, that That's my hope, at least. I think that... So you, th- you, th- you think we're going to get the band back together soon? <laughs> <laughs> I think we're... I, I definitely think we're going to see... Um, I think we're going to see, you know, our, our was, you know, her name just escapes me tonight. Nynaeve. Thank you. I think we're going to see Nynaeve. I think Nynaeve and Moraine and Lan, I think all of those individuals are going to come back together. Um. It's just a feeling that I have. I think they've gone through enough at this point in Jordan's mind to where um, we need to bring some people back together and let some lesser characters get developed. Um, I'm tired of Rand anyway. Uh, <laughs> I'm tired of being in his mind. So um, he can go away. <laughs> um, Ooh, sorry, you know, man. I'm kind of there with him. But at, at that point, looking back at what we just read, um, this sinking suspicion is really going into play. And then we, we see that he's getting sick. So there's a clear indication that he clearly tapped into the power. And then we had that mention at um, the bridge at white bridge um, that there was a man that had tapped into the power. Um, So we're, we're seeing more men and we, we assume that that was Tom um, or at least I did at least. Um, But, you know, I, I'm just wondering how often Matt's tapped into it and not realized it. And we see that this is a big draw on him because it's literally knocking him out. It's taking everything from him. We know it takes a while for the after effect to hit. So it's like coming off of that high. Um, But it is kind of scary that the boys are now not knowing that they can trust anybody. So they went from the trusting the village where they can trust literally everybody. Like they're probably two of the most untrustworthy people in the village, <laughs> or at least Matt is. <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> and, then, and then Rand gets Damn, thrown Rand in there sad. because he hangs out with Matt. Um, <laughs> uh, but you know, sure. it's, it's Matt's just like, okay, so this dude must be a dark friend. He's like, how do you know what a dark friend would even look like? Because of their interactions. I just, I feel bad for the guys, to be honest with you. Yeah. So immediately after this, we get kind of a flashback. So we're back to them leaving Four Kings. The storm's going crazy. Matt's blind. And they're, they're, they're walking out of... Four kings and they fall asleep. I guess it's like a little hedge. They cuddle under it. Yeah, they cuddle under the hedge together. Yeah, I'm never going to leave you, Frodo. Oh, I love you, Samwise. Which which reminds me a lot of camping with Ian. Um, and I was going to ask: Is this another time for the uh, the tent to get brought up? The tent, absolutely. (laughs) So it's a two person where where Ian had a bad dream and Alan had to cuddle him closer and hold him. There were there were bears. There's bears. (laughs) It was a two person 
tent. Yeah, it might have been a youth tent, and maybe I did that on purpose so <laughs> he would have to hold me closely. But yeah, baby. like a little baby. Oh, so nice. I felt safe. Here. Oh, nice. There you go. <laughs> so, Grant falls asleep. He goes into a dream, and he's back in Four Kings. So, um, in his dream, and it's another one of those crazy, uh, crazy dreams. This one doesn't last long, of course, but um, uh, he goes into the inn, the dancing cartman. He sees Goad, and Goad's all burnt up, and our buddy's there, <laughs> Balsamon. So, what? Let's talk <laughs> about this interaction is a little bit different. First off, this is the dancing mm-hmm. cartman appeared in front of him. Somehow, its garnish paint seemed gray and lifeless. He went in, good was there at the table. What we've seen so far in these dreams have been very vivid. Like there's mm-hmm. color, there's action. It's not a familiar location. It's semi-familiar. Like I've been mm-hmm. here before. I know this place. But it's always been so twisted. So now we can kind of see that the dreams are becoming a little bit more static um, as compared to what they once were. And, you know, static can be a good thing, but it can also be a bad thing. When the dreams were dynamic and all over the place, um, we have a sense that Bialzaman is kind of lacking in control of the environment and like nobody really had control. But now we have a static location that was a location that they were just at. So it's just an indication that Bialzaman is like, hey, I know where you were. And I can show you where you were. And here's my boy. And he found you where you were at. But then that also shows that, like, I'm engaging in your world more and more every day. And now I can put a little bit more into it. So it's almost like he is coming more out of his inability to approach the actual landscape because before it was more dreamscape and now he's he's gaining foot in the actual realm mm-hmm. who is gaining foot? define your problem right so that's what that's one side of the coin but the one of the only things i underlined in this whole chapter is after Rand said so you're a dead Rand said and i underlined he was surprised that he was not afraid. Perhaps it was knowing that it was a dream this time. So Rand, Rand is gaining footing. He's more confident. He's less afraid like these dreams. He's don't bother him as much. He's, he's gaining confidence in them and maybe getting to a point where even within these dreams, he can confront uh, Beelzeman. So I get mm-hmm. what you're saying. But I think Rand is also getting comfortable, uh, at least not as a Well, and you kind of touched on the next point scenarios. I was going to make because there's two sides of it. The second side that I was thinking is exactly what you said. I had that highlighted too um, because he made the comment and then Bialzaman answered. He said, yes, but he did find you for me. That deserves some reward, don't you think? So Bialzaman is realizing too that He's losing control, but at the same time, he's gained a little bit of something. He's letting Rand in on, hey, we're closing in on you. But essentially, um, excuse me, we have Rand who is beginning to accept Bialzaman a little bit more. He's tapping into the power 
So the very fact that he's kind of accepting this is kind of giving Bialzaman strength in a way. Like I'm agreeing with you, mm-hmm. Ian. Like he, he is realizing it's a dream, but he's also realizing he's got this power and he's also questioning whether or not he's going to be able to control it. He's questioning whether or not it's good or bad. So I think there's a little bit of slippage here. So I'm just kind of, I'm torn. So I do definitely agree with you on your point that you made. Sure. Well, mm-hmm. er, early on, Bialzaman controlled these dreams. Like he pushed all his influence onto Rand. It was very negative. Um, but then I mentioned Rand getting his confidence. And like you said, Bialzaman hits him back with, yeah, but now I know where you are. And uh, this guy still helped me out. But still, Rand. Tried to wet his lips, but he had no spit in his mouth. No, he managed. And then the words came more easily. I belong to myself, not you, not ever myself. So even in these horrible dreams with this Bialzaman, whoever he might be, like super intimidating, like the average person would probably be really afraid of this person. Rand is already starting to stand up to him. So there's there's some give and take even in this dream world. And I don't know. I just felt like at this point, Biazelman's starting to lose ground. Even though the dark friends in the real world are gaining in on Rand, uh, Biazelman's influence on Rand's spirit is starting well, Here's a to question or a thought or however we want to put it. Um, we know that when men tap into the power, they go awry. But they're crazy, yes. Yeah. Is it that they're going crazy or being driven crazy? Five hours ago. Mm. What what do you mean by like how do you because see the difference in those two? Well we know it's tainted. And it's the source is by Bialzaman. By the dark by the dark one, yes. Wait, did you said taint, right? I said take. Okay. Yeah. I just. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so there, there's a difference uh. in going crazy and being driven crazy because we inherently assume that men cannot control the power and that they go crazy because of it. But maybe they go crazy because Bial's mind drives them to serve him or it drives them to their inevitable destruction. And those that are not driven crazy by him are then able to gain control. So it appears, and we don't know because those that are touched tend to be tracked down and either are killed or shifted. So this is our first Mm. perspective of a person that is gaining the power outside of the control of the Aes Sedai or a dark friend. So we don't know anybody else's full story, (laughs) but we're getting to peer into it. So, you know, we have Rand who we have three people that are essentially going a little crazy because of Bialzaman's influence in their dream as they come into the power. We haven't seen it so much with Matt. We see him kind of have issues in his sleep, but we don't really see the influence 
but in Perrin, we see the influence kind of manifesting a little bit. Um, but then he's protected by the wolves. And then we have Rand being kind of driven crazy, but now he's starting to gain a little bit of control. He's lacking in fear as he is defeating more of the dark friends and escaping the situations. He realizes that it's not so hopeless. And even though he no longer has Lady Moraine with him, she influenced him to, in, in her own way, though she may not have known that about the dreams, she still gave him the power and the knowledge to know, like, you can, you can fight this and you can definitely become something with the proper help. Well, he's just doing it without it. Mm. So maybe it's not the power, but, you know, the tank caused by the mind. <laughs> that is driving these guys crazy and maybe he's just strong enough to overcome it. Chris. Sure. Yes. Chris. Bro, I am 5'7". Before you get that deep again, let me know so I can put my floaties on. <laughs> <laughs> I like everything you said, but I have to think about that shit for a minute. Wow. That's good. While you're thinking. Valsamon oh uh, does destroy Goad. Uh, he gets his reward and gets destroyed. Um, uh, you know, uh, kind of goes up in ash. Um, and then says, The eye will not serve you. So we see that again. The eye of the world uh, will not serve you. Uh, so he gets referenced again. And then he throws a fireball at Rand and he wakes up. Hadouken. Yeah. Um, and he sees Matt have a bad dream. Well, before, and he wakes up. Matt, on, I'm going to play you back. Morning. Okay. Back it up. The grave belongs to me. Easier dead, but better alive. Better for you, youngling. The living have more power in most things. So he's giving an ultimatum. Bialzman's giving an ultimatum. Like, I don't care if you're alive or dead. I'm going to have you. You will be mine. And Mm -hmm. then he kills Goat, and that's his, or destroys him, and that's his reward. It's almost like a release. But what is it a release to? Like, is this this idea that, like, once you're released, you become part of the taint, you become part of Bialzaman? Um, you know, if, you know, I, I, I kind of, I struggle with that right there because how can you consider that a reward? And he makes a statement again, you are mine, youngling, alive or dead. The eye of the world will never serve you. I have marked you as mine. So, oh, oh I, I never, I never thought it was actually an actual reward. By the way, um, at least that was my interpretation of reading this. I mean, this is never answered, but I, I never looked at it as an actual reward. Just I mean because his his face goes to pain, like at yeah, the it, very end. Yeah, yes. it's yeah, it's it that he thought it's like it's it has to do with how evil Balsamon is. Like, yeah, we're gonna give you a reward. Here's your reward. Like, bye. Like, be gone. Like, <laughs> um. Well, it's got yeah, a nice of understanding of what the taint is really about and what the, the split and the divide and the power is really about. Like, they think that they're going to become a part of this one great power, but they're really a part of a void. So, yeah, so moving forward now, we wake up Matt. 
It's the next morning. Um, and they start moving on. They're avoiding people of villages at this point. Um, and, um, and then they run into, I guess, uh, get a ride with a nice farmer the next day. Alfred Mole. Yeah. Yeah. Throwing, throwing Pater under the bus. That's desperate. And he's a nice guy. He's a farmer. He's lonely, looking for someone to talk to. Uh, things are bad for him, too. But he's the one who gives him scarves. So, you know, when we first started in a couple chapters ago, we mentioned the scarves. <laughs> and, um, you know, Alpert won't take them in because he's they're, – they're in hard times, too. So he lets them go. And um, and they get to it um, – uh, see what's since they get to an end that seems better at this point, so they decide to actually buy a room. It's expensive, but they pay for it. They get a meal. It's all good. Uh, you know, Matt covers his face because he can't uh, see very well, and they actually get good night's sleep, no bad dreams. You know, everything's great. Next morning, they come down to have some breakfast, and this guy comes in, young man <laughs> named Peter. <laughs> Peter with a feather yeah. in his cap. Good old Peter. He's a, ni- a nice young lad from the village. Good old <laughs> Peter with the dark curls. You know, they're just really sad. It's a sad interaction. I I just, it, yeah. it made no sense for it to be here, to be honest with you. Like, yeah. Peter's a sad yeah. guy. Yeah. He's just down on yeah. his bottom. I don't even know how the conversation yeah. even so came comes about. To- it's like, what is your name? My name? My name? Uh, call me Pater. His eyes shift nervously. Ah, uh, this is not my idea. You understand. Mm-hmm. I have to do it. I didn't want to do it, but they made me. You have to understand that I don't. Ram was beginning to tense when Matt growled, dark friend. Matt growled. I love the way they put that growl. Like Matt is now becoming more animalistic every time we talk about him. <laughs> uh, I, I really, really, really cannot wait to see what Matt becomes. Like I, I, I don't know if you can tell, but Matt definitely excites me at this point because I have this feeling that he is going to be something very bad or very, very good. Um based on just the language that Jordan chooses to use um, when he's speaking. Um, but, like, right out of the dark, out of the blue, it's just like, you know, leave us alone. Tell your friends leave us alone. We want nothing from them. They'll get nothing from yeah. us. And Matt's like, if you don't, I'll name you for what you are. See what your village friends think of you. Or think of that. I mean, he's Peter is is like your your uh, local Jehovah's uh, Witness uh, or, or Mormon. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I, I, I want to talk to you about the Great Lord of the Dark. <laughs> the Lord of Do the you have dark. a minute? <laughs> I, I, we, just, we just need well, to talk I, for a second about that. Please over that interaction. <laughs> he said, I, I heard what happened at Four Kings, some of it anyway. Word travels. We have ways of hearing things, mm-hmm. but there's nobody here to trap you. I'm alone, and and I just want to talk. So you're right. That Jehovah's Witness feeling like this is the young guy, that dark friend. Yeah. And, and, and if we have Jehovah's Witnesses that are that are listeners, but by, by all means, we love you still. Um, you just uh, just sometimes you got to get pushy. That's all. <laughs> well, I mean, just, and, you know, my church was that church that still had cards where. 
you had to mark how many people you saved in a week when I was growing up. So we were literally taken out <laughs> door to door every um, Tuesday on the door before Wednesday service. So <laughs> and it's, I, was, okay. I was raised yeah. Southern yeah. Baptist. Like, <laughs> I, I, so you, you dark, too would be preaching the, the, great the, the, the great lord of the dark <laughs> yeah. exactly Chris, but I, you know how did the word travel so fast and what means are they using to get the word across are they using crows or ravens like are they using the blackbirds to get the message out there again that high mentality keeps coming back to my mind like i want to know how the power mm. works like i'm ready to become a dark friend just so I have a clear understanding, like teaching your ways, <laughs> <laughs> oh dark one. That way I can have this events network. <laughs> Get me on the five G dark friend network. <laughs> and they just kind of struggle off of yeah. me. I, I can't. I can't help. I can't help but focus. I can't help but focus on how Pater is kind of described in his interaction. He's not a team dark friend. He's not B team dark friend. He's not even fucking C team dark friend. He's like, he's the guy that they sold a dark friend support t shirt to at like the super minor league game. And he, and for years, apparently he thought he was part of the in crowd and he never was. But, but the dark side, the dark friends, I think were caught off guard. The fact that they had to use him. Yeah. Means that Matt and Rand traveled a different path than they anticipated. Because they were like, "Fuck, who do we got out there?" And they're like, "We got Pater." They're like, "Who the fuck is Pater?" But well, we sold him that we sold him that T-shirt once. We're like, God damn it, call Pater and tell him to go in. We we, we need him. We need him now. There's nobody else. Can, can you just hold? Can you hold? We need him. Hold, just hold him long up till we all get there. Can you just can you just hold him. Right. <laughs> Right. So I don't know. Oh my God. Uh, I, I don't know what that means ultimately, but like the fact that this, this, I don't even know how to describe them, support t shirt wearing dark friend is playing a lead role. And he's so confused. He's like, he's almost confessing. He's like, hey guys, ups. Hey, I'm a dark friend. We need to talk. Like, I don't, I don't really know what I'm doing. Uh, hold on. Don't freak out. Wait, don't freak out. Let's just know there's more. He's like that girly, that uh, the Zamboni driver that yeah, got right. called up to play exactly. in the NHL. Exactly. He's like, I mean, I've been on skates before. I mean, I've been on ice, not on skates. I don't. <laughs> don't, don't really. Fourth reserve. That is such yeah, a blight sure, reference. Right. I am so proud of you for putting that out there. <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> if I was a better blighter, I'd know the name. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I think it's yeah, yeah, like David yeah. something. Sorry. It was for Carolina. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, so, uh, it, so Grant punches Pete in the face. <laughs> As, yeah, and he falls on his bottom. That's my favorite line of the whole chapter. And he, and he sat there staring at Rand. Oh. <laughs> you won't get away. Jeez. <laughs> exactly. That, that's how I. That's how I heard his entire spiel. After that, it was a why I got it. It was a. Uh, I don't know. I, I didn't read into it too much. 
I first yelled about the dark one, and pretty much the yeah, well, like the great lord of the dark right. in and front of everyone. The, the, the guy sleeping like the floor like stops. Is like holy crap! Like <laughs> what? Um, it's so funny. What? Like this is the awakening of Rand. <laughs> Shitty awake, like. Yeah. I just can't even, it's like, images spun in his head. Yeah. The Trollocs narg <laughs> leaping at him in his own home. The Midrals threatening the stag and the lion and uh, Barlon. Half men everywhere. Fage chasing them to set off Logar. Coming for them in the White Bridge. Dark friends everywhere. He whirled. Like, all of this buildup, and then he punches them in the nose. I'm like, <laughs> you have this buildup. Why didn't he slit his throat? But I love it. It's just like from you know from foot to bottom, just like that. Rand's got the power because because Pater, Pater has to eventually become a dreadlord. You know, this is a story. This you next know, this story about <laughs> to introduce Pater. The he's going to work his way up through management. Our, uh... You know, and. Oh man, damn! He's he's left way back in chapter two in my mind. Yep. this is a Rudy story. This is a Rudy story right here. Peter's our, um, <laughs> our traveling storyteller. What was his name again? It's already left my mind because he's not important anymore. Adam Fane. Yeah, this whole book is about. Are we talking two. about Adam Fane? Oh, that Pat guy's still. The, yeah, the peddler. Yeah, the guy. The peddler. It's not not important yeah. at all. Well, this whole book is about those. Sure, two. sure. Yeah, loser. Sure. <laughs> and their ascension into about those two. <laughs> Patton and Pater's fabulous adventures. Patton and Pater's adventure. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> that Patton Fane is still following that what? Crew. He is following that Iran. Yeah. What? What? what, what? <laughs> I believe it. Oh, I know so. You think like, so? I don't doubt that at all. Huh. Right. Okay. Interesting. But time traveling Tam is going to show up just in the nick of time <laughs> and save them from. Okay, all right, let's. All right, Alan. Alan, leave Patty the show. We're, yeah, move okay. Okay. <laughs> so they run out of the building. <laughs> so they run out of the village, and Rand says, uh, "They're you know they're still hunting." Um, uh, you know that, that that they just they're being hunted all the time. So um, they get some news. They hear some stories. Uh, of, you know, as they move along outside the village about what happened back there, and you can see how it's changing as they get further and further away. Uh, about you know, there's a whole council of dark friends that showed up at the town, and you know, it just keeps on changing. The story does as they move from village to village. Um, and then they come to another village. You get a description of the of the end. There's lots of travelers there, whole lot of people. So the bustles get a lot bigger as they're getting village to village. Uh, people are all going to Kaelman to see the false dragon. So um, you get the idea from that. Um, the innkeeper agrees to let them stay uh, if they to play um, for a place to sleep if they play. But then Rand starts getting really sick. So. Kudos to Matt to being quick on his feet. So let's stop there. Can we? Yeah, let's let's give a little shout out to Matt, who's been like just getting I don't know, fucking ragged on these past few chapters, but homeboy yeah. steps up. Yeah, and even if he has to manipulate a little bit, uh, you know, to get yeah. to get their free meals, to get their free place to stay. Of course, they're they're not about to perform, mm. but the innkeeper certainly doesn't want sick Rand brought out in the middle of the crowd, right? So he uses mm-hmm. that as leverage. He's taking care of his friend, but he's also getting their needs met and playing the game. So, 
I give him props. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you got to let the badger run free in the field and just see what the fuck happens. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you just got to so get out of the sack. No, they get to the stable and is not doing well at all. Like, no. um, yeah, uh, he's he's really bad. So you know, Matt makes a little bed for Rand. Rand's going through flashes, hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold. And Matt's doing a good job taking care of Rand throughout the night. Um, you definitely proud of. Yeah, and Rand's job. having nightmares and seeing things. I had a question mark about all the different visions that Rand was seeing, and what you think what's going on with Rand. Like, were they dream visions, or were they real, or are they just nightmares, or like all these different visions that are happening? Uh, the fever I saw them as fever dreams oh, from Rand's perspective, and I think it came at just the right time as a reader. It was a reminder that, uh, so we followed the story of Egwene and Perrin and a little bit of uh, Nynaeve and uh, Moraine and Land and whatnot. So we know that they're moving along, but Rand doesn't know that. At this point, it's a, it was a, it was a reminder to me that from Rand's perspective, they could all be dead right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just like resetting myself as, as I, you know, every time uh, Jordan shifts from story to story, we have to remember what those characters know and what they don't know versus what we know. Uh, mm-hmm. So anyways, yeah, fe- fever dreams, but also like from, you know, what he knows, he's, uh, I guess, I like, these are his friends that he grew up with. This was a girl that he had the hots for that he didn't know he had the hots for, but he was just coming of age and he was curious what was happening in his pants when she came by. I don't know, but he had some hots for, and (laughs) right. Something was going on and he has, he has no clue where she's at right now. And anyway, so. But everything here was an essentially a personification of his thoughts. Did anything stand out to you guys? Any it was all a recap, but at the same time, it's always placed in his fears, which also, you know, we just had a dream where he had total control, and now we have dreams of him slipping. So it goes to that whole side of you have this battle for control mm-hmm. of the power versus slipping into chaos and madness because of the power, and essentially being driven crazy by it. And that's why I had that mm-hmm. question whether or not they're being driven crazy because of the power or because of Biazamad's influence within the power. Because the first image that he sees, of course, is Biazamad and the Midrals. And then, you know, and he's, these are daydreams. Like, he is seeing these things, and he's crying out to Matt. And then he realizes, you know, there's nobody there. It's just a dream. And then... It goes from there and it shifts scenes to him, you know, grabbing the sword and saying, no, I have to keep it. He's my father. You understand? He's my father. Yeah, um, he's saying, I think we cut you off know, it he's my father. He he's my father. My, my father. my father clinging to the sword. So, again, there's his first major conflict in life was whether or not, whether, <laughs> whether or not Sam was his father. And, you know, it, it, before he said it, I was like, well. Tam? You know, Bialzaman's been gone from the world for a long time, so Bialzaman's not his father. But it would be cool if that was, you know, a, a twist of some sort, um, or if there was a way that, you know, he would 
these boys were born of something supernatural, but you know, we know that's not the case because we know Matt has a lineage that's connected to um, the town that he's from. And, but beyond that, we don't know much about Perrin or Rand and their lineage. Um, but then from there, we go to Egwene, yeah. and she steps out, and it's like, why did you leave us? We're dead because you left us. So there's a lot of self-doubt there, and everything that he had fears about are all coming, again, being personified. We're all dead, and the death is the kingdom of the Dark One. The Dark One has us because you abandoned us. Mm-hmm. So these are the thoughts that are in his head, but I think they're being projected or furthered by Bialzaman in some way. And then we have uh, Moraine comes out. She's like, you have no choice. You must go to Tarvalon or the Dark One will take you for his own eternity chained in the shadows. Only Aes Sedai can save you now. Only Aes Sedai. So again, another interesting thought. And then, you know, Tom comes out of nowhere and grins at him sardonically, which is awesome. That's one of my favorite words, by the way. <laughs> said, that made that a rip to smile. Of light as Tom yeah. to give him time to run. Ugh. The flesh under the rags was blackened and burned. True Aes Sedai, boy, and you'll wish you were dead. Remember the price of Aes Sedai help is smaller than you can believe, always greater than you can imagine. And what Aja will find um, you first, hey? Red, maybe black. Best to run, boy, run. So again, they're all like warnings of this subconscious that he's heard, but really not put much thought to. And then Land comes out of nowhere. Strange to see a heronmark blade in your in the hand of a shepherd boy. Mm-hmm. Are you worthy of it? You had better be. You're alone now. Nothing to hold, um, to hold to behind you. Nothing before you. And anyone can be a dark friend. He smiled with a wolfish smile. Anyone. So like literally all of his misery is coming out. Then Perrin came, a cursing, pleading for help. And then all of the people that he's run into have kind of like come up. It's almost like when a Dementor attacks Harry and Harry Potter. And then all of these negative thoughts and feelings come back. Well, there you go. Oh. And then, like, there's the realization. Tell me, who am I? Tell me, please, who am I? Who am I? So, all of this stems from this lack of knowledge. And, you know, I kind of connect with Rand in this. Um, Growing up as a person who did not know or does not know who his um, biological father is, when you have that realization in your life that you don't have a connection then you always have that question or that doubt in your mind, like, am I living up to my fullest potential? Am I, like, who am I? Who could I be? Um, You know, you you don't have a birthright to claim. You don't know who your siblings are or could be. You know, you don't, there's a whole side of your life that you know absolutely nothing about. And so for him to go through all of these mm-hmm. horrible moments as he's traveling, literally within the course of a month and a half, he's had this realization that he's lost, he's lost his, his id, he's lost his identity. And the thing about the identity is it's developed by your, your knowledge that's based on what you've learned from others around you. 
and then other people's perception of you. And so his entire idea of who he is has been shooken because his entire life he's been has been the son of Tam. And his entire life has been built around this idea that he is the son of this brewmaster, this farmer, this great beast of a man who everybody looks up to. And that's what he is supposed to inherit. That's what he's supposed to become more like. And then literally in a night, he was stripped of all of that. He was stripped of his home, stripped of his father, stripped mm-hmm. of his identity. And then you have Bialzaman coming into his mind and essentially offering him a new identity and he's tapping into this power. And so there's a huge internal conflict and struggle with this character. Yeah, that's kind of all coming out to play. Yeah. Yeah. Still, okay, I was making sure the floaties were... Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I had to reinflate them a couple of times, but I was holding on because I, I wanted to make a couple points. First of all... Okay. If you guys can flashback to the chapter choices, um, and Ian's favorite chapter, right? Yeah, but I'm gonna give. I'm not giving Moraine props directly. I'm giving Ran props about his interpretation of Moraine through his his fever dream, where she says, "That's right, Rand Althor, you have no choice," which was my point all along. That chapter title was so screwed up. Choices. There were no choices. He had no choice. You must go to Tarvalon. But again, I'm not giving credit directly to Moraine because this is technically Rand's fever dream (laughs) about what Moraine is saying to him. So she agrees with me. Um, But no, uh, way back, um, you asked what part of this might have stood out to us. So I was trying to, I mean, all of this is obviously the internal conflict for Rand and all these things he's struggling with, but what out of all of this like popped out most to me, it was kind of a combination of his interaction with, uh, or thoughts of Tam, but it was more Lan addressing him about the sword and strange to see the Heronmark blade in the hands of a sheep herder. Are you worthy of it? You had better be. You're alone now. Those three lines together. Um, I mean, the are you worthy of it? That's all the doubt that Rand's feeling. Uh, can he wield it? Can he stand on his own? Can he fill Tam shoes? Maybe is what he thought growing up. But now he's realizing that Tam might not be his father and there might be bigger shoes to fill is he worthy of it he doesn't know but then the you had better be well shit's getting real you don't really have a lot of time to figure it out uh there's these dark friends everywhere there's fades everywhere and you're alone now Mm -hmm. um man those three back to back like that's that's potent well it's a perfect transition so speaking of dark friends everywhere so as fever finally breaks he goes to sleep and he wakes up to a door opening um, into the stable. And a young woman comes in. Actually, she's a little older than they are, but still young, uh, with a nice dress on. And I don't think they ever give a name for her. So I just call her Dark Friend Number Three. Is she wearing a green dress? Am I thinking of the right yeah. one? Dark Wait, Alan, are, are you Dark Friend Number Two and she's Number Three? 
<laughs> so yeah, she comes in. She's uh, you know, she she's asking you, know, uh, can you look at my horse? And she approaches him, feels her head, then immediately reaches in, grabs a dagger, and lunges at Matt. Um, so <laughs> it happens. All this happens pretty fast. I mean, this is I know this is, women, right? Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Once they've made up their minds, I tell you, they will go for it. Really quick, I gotta go back. Mom, just gonna put that out there. Yes, we had some pretty badass women in the book so far, and we have to go along with my theme of his mom being a warrior. So maybe the sword belongs to mom, and you know, Sam was holding on to it as a memory. Mm. Because Oh, oh shit. Okay. Damn it! I told you I need to put my floaties on. You know these these swords are not very heavy. They're not very broad, and he's a big guy. He wouldn't necessarily be using a sword like that. He'd probably be using a, a broad sword. Um, but this sword could easily be wielded by a female like Mulan. <laughs> Same soft sword. Um, so, and then okay. speaking on our, our dark friend number three. That interaction did happen so quick, and Matt was very <laughs> quick on his feet. Like I, I think I, I feel like I missed it because like her hand flashed from under her cloak. Something uh, glittered as she lunged across, ran towards Matt. Matt toppled sideways in a flurry of motion. And there was a solid thunk of metal driven into wood. So he moved. Like Matt learned something from Ram, from uh, Lamb. So I thought Ian would be especially proud yeah. of Matt here. <laughs> but is it is it Matt that moved quickly, or was it uh, correct minor pronunciation <laughs> Shatter or Logoth? Or... Well, see that more yeah, more death, more death. Yeah, if more death is taking over, and more death is more the type of person that is all about survival. Let's weasel. be honest; he's just trying to exist, right? So did Matt? Yeah, exactly. And uh, weasels can dip and dive, bro. I don't know if you ever try to catch no. one. I'd rather I'd rather chase down a crazy <laughs> cock than a fucking weasel. Reaction, they can move. Matt lay a hand on his back uh, and one yeah. hand gripping her wrist just above the dagger. So that's a direct defensive move that you learn in any martial arts. So that has to be something. I don't know that Mordeth would have known to do something like yeah. that. He seems like that mm-hmm. guy whispering dark secrets into the king's ear and slowly corrupting his soul. <laughs> Not the badass martial art specialist who, you know. Where does where does Matt have experience knife fighting? Because it wasn't just that he was defensive, but his blade, the dagger, was immediately at her throat. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah, a bowman. That comes- he mm-hmm. those quick he quick well yes a little bit of that dis- dexterity training <laughs> plus ten dexterity from Tom. Thank you. Uh, that helped, but that's not a direct correlation. Hungry. So how <laughs> does he have her. these? Uh, I've 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 screwed around with knives a little bit. Knife fighting, I would never want to get in one. I don't ever want to be on. in one. You, you could train me for ten years. I still would not want to be in one. And he was mm-hmm. in a blink of an eye natural. Well, he dodged hers and put his up to her throat. That I don't feel that's met. Right. Well, I think also when he dodged, yeah. her knife went into the wood, so she no longer had a weapon. So he was able to dodge right. and then come up kind of behind her 
with the shatter Logoth dagger right to her throat, which so she then looked down on her head and she got even yeah. more frightened. Yeah, yeah. When you grow up hunting, you grow up knowing where to place a blade. And when you are a two river folk uh, descendants true, of great true. warriors, you know, some type of training has to have occurred for self-defense in the event something happens. Hopefully that's something like fathers hand down to their sons. Um, and Matt would have hopefully reaped some benefit. And then you got land teaching them over the course of a month. I would hope the first yeah. thing he would teach is um, close quarters combat. Since that's what he was a specialist at, sword fighting. Well, like he even told them, put the bow away. Like, You're already good with the bow. Yeah. Put the bow away. Let's Maybe. teach you a little bit about how to use your sword. I'm so not completely. I, again, I still feel like Matt shifting and changing. But I think this was the real Matt coming out for the first time in a while. So, so Rand realizes Matt's about to kill her and stops him. But bef- before we get oh, there, no, you guys, I'm surprised you guys haven't talked about this other blade. Dry. The wood around the uh, blade was blackening. Thick tendrils of smoke rose from the char. So this blade has the ability to catch things on fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, this is pretty There's dope. Stuff, like, stuff, I, stuff I is good on this one. <laughs> and so we've got... <laughs> well, and then we have we have an object that has magic for the first this is time. Because, you know, though we have um, Moraine's <laughs> staff, she essentially said that the staff has no power. It's only channeling my power. Now we have a blade that has been endowed with magic. Because she was no longer holding the blade. It was no longer connected to her unless she could channel magic through air into the blade, which if you can do that, then why not be able to retract the blade to yourself and then continue to use it would be my thought um, because that's what I would learn. So, you know, now we have a magic blade. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, but then fast forward, Rand realizes Matt's about to kill her, stops him. She turns to them and says they should really just stop struggling. It would be for the best um, if they stop trying to, you know, stop struggling about, the, you know, joining the dark, dark side. <laughs> I love how Matt um, was ready to kill her. Oh, yeah. That's what I said. Yeah. Matt was. And, and Rand was the one, that, the chivalrous Rand. You know, no, can't kill a girl. He's um, not a killer in general. Can't kill the lady. Can't kill the lady. <laughs> yeah, he's right. Yeah. You're right. Well, we're not right. Say so, that. I don't think good. we're there yet. We got a lot of books to go. And if you keep living life like this, eventually you get to a point of kill first, ask questions later. I think mm-hmm. I think they're still a little bit naive. Maybe not naive, right. but yeah. in, innocent, uh, pure-ish. But sure. uh, you keep going down this trail. Mm-hmm. Fuck, man. You would have you killed that last scrawny innkeeper right after you ate your meal because you didn't want to pay for the the rest of the night i just i don't know but then you ha- you have at some point you kill first, mistake. Move on. right there has been considerable no. confusion since what happened with the egotistical fool goad not to mention whoever the idiot was who started the panic and marcus sharon <laughs> what we know is our boy <laughs> when you call up the guy that bought the support t-shirt at <laughs> at the rally, she's like, oh, "Come on, no what did you expect? What happened there, or how?" He was a <laughs> wannabe okay, all day long. It's like, it's rude. Nah, he tried. Well, she, hater didn't deserve it. He did the it. best. She, he he did was the best he could. 
he with was what like, he had to work with. <laughs> that was not that much. More Little to no training. You will have honor curls. That's it. The great Lord of your own free will. But as long as you run, there will be pursuit. And who can tell what will happen then? And then Rain felt the chill. My hounds are jealous and may not be gentle. So here's my question. How are they being tracked? And then there was that statement before. It's mm. coming off of you like a wave. Now, is this their power growing yeah. within mm. them and people can sense it? Or... This is what... <laughs> Or is it something physical, well, like the dagger itself? Dagger or... or the fact that they were marked by mm. the Dark One, because he said it mm. twice now. Maybe. <gasps> Wait. Somebody took a drink from the chalice. That thought? Maybe it was Matt. And, and... Well, there's yeah. all sorts of things that can connect them. Not... Oh, because yeah, we, yeah, we, we thought yeah, maybe yeah, Barry, but in his mind, in, in a long time in the book, probably about twenty percent, uh, about ten chapters. But then there's the also thought, mm. you know, there was the poking yep. in the eye, the ball of flame, and then you are marked. So maybe they are emanating the Dark Lord's aura, because again, we have seen his power come out of the dream and be present in the current. So maybe he is uh, lighting off a beacon through them yeah, for his followers sure. to see that they were protected from before maybe the loss of their coins. Maybe the coin had more power than just being a beacon uh, for Moraine, but maybe it also offered a level of protection. Hmm. I wonder about that. Or maybe being with Moraine, maybe she used some type of power to keep them you know, invisible to the eye of magic, and now they've lost that? Yeah. <laughs> I'll, just I'll answer the show. Yeah, I mean, sure. I'm like... <laughs> Blood and ashes. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> yeah, I'm, like, looking at my notes right now, and that was, like, my final thoughts in this cha- chapter, was to ask Chris and Ian, how are the dark friends finding out what's <laughs> happened or getting their information? So Chris was, as usual, a hundred <laughs> steps ahead of me. <laughs> and already like contemplated yeah. everything without the question he, being posed. So very good. Yeah, he he's to go back like, a little you know, bit. You know how it is to be hosting this now. Like I'm like, I have all the questions. I always question for the down, like oh and, no, just just look up. Uh, <laughs> okay, good. So they've thought about it then. Great. Yeah. You will find out how dangerous we are when we make those So we now know that Midrals are not far off. So the fades. Mm-hmm. They the need Mergel's to get moving. Yeah. The Mergerel is coming. Yeah. Yep. So they, they do leave. They toss the, the knife into the dagger into the water. It hisses. So obviously it's it. this badass crazy um dagger. Um yeah. Um, at, at this at this point, at this point, they are scared of everyone, and and they get back on the road, and Kitch picks them up, and that ends the chapter. So we started the chapter with Kitch dropping them off, and they did trust Kitch, and you kind of didn't have any context on like what I mean. You just left four kings, and yeah, you had Goad, but that doesn't give you reason really to just distrust this nice seeming, you know cart guy ride a cart but then after all this 
Like, yeah, no, we're not trusting anybody at this point. Yeah. <laughs> we trust nobody. Um, so you you kind of get where where Matt's coming from at this point. It's so yeah, sad. Or, yeah. Uh, Kitch, is that you say his name? Who? Kent. The dark friend. I think he's the first Kitch. dark one to do things the smart Kitch. way. Yeah. Kinch. I do. I do. Oh, yeah. You think he's a dark friend? Oh. You think he's a dark friend? Yeah, I don't. Kinchy? And that's, well, I guess, so this is what we're supposed to be feeling uh, towards everybody right now. I like, jokingly, early on, I was distrustful of everybody. At this point, you're supposed to not trust anybody. And it's a it's a freaking horrible, I don't know. Again, I put my own perspective on this, but it's a horrible position for Matt and Rand to be in, especially Rand knowing his character. Like, I, I grew up, Alan, you know this, I grew up just, I got along with everybody. My, my book of friends was gigantic. I had the, the, the band geeks. I had the math honor society friends. I had the sports friends. I had the popular kids, the, the D D the sailing club, you name it. Like I did a little bit of everything. So I was friends with everybody. And then fast forward to where I'm at right now in my circle of people that I trust, like, and keep close to me. Uh, to, I guess Alan, you're in there three, four. I'm at, I'm at about four, maybe five. And right, barely. But like, well, like, I don't know. I, I just, I feel their struggle right now in that transition from the town they came from where they knew everything out of everybody. They, they somewhat trusted or they can expect they knew what to expect from everybody to now, like everybody you meet in every situation you run into, you have to consider like the possibility yes. that they're out to get you. Like that's a horrible <laughs> way to live. Paranoid existence. Yeah. I, I don't know. Oh, Ian, that's such a depressing note. To <laughs> <Waterways>. <laughs> <laughs> Look, and all right, mental picture, uh, they've deflated. I'm slowly sinking and trying to. <laughs> fade, fade into the abyss. Yeah, into the abyss. Right now, I'm gulping, taking my last breath. <laughs> This is a tragedy. Not a I'm I'm little John and me- I'm little John and Men in Tights. I just need to stand up. <laughs> I can't swim. I can't swim. <laughs> it's not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that bad. Just stand up. <laughs> Alrighty. <laughs> That's uh, much just to foot all your reference, but we'll get to that to the time. But uh, so, so end of chapter. Um, any thoughts from any of the other chapters before we wrap up? Or um, going back, to anything last else you want to add? I'm I'm gonna I'm disagreeing with Ian because Ian has faith in this guy, and I think this is the first smart dark one. He he rolled up, and he's like, Ooh. "Yo, okay, you going to see the dragon? I'm going to." I'm an old man, you know, just kind of meandering to see the the false dragon. Excuse me. You're going to see the false dragon? Yep, I'm going to. Why not? 
I'm headed to Camelin. You know, you guys can hop on. There's been plenty of other false dragons. And he just so happened to come upon them on the road, kind of knows where they're going, mm-hmm. you know, makes a, a fake assumption to draw them in. He knows they're tired. He knows they're weary. They've been through a lot. He knows it's going to be a lot easier to get them to hop on the wagon. Why not lull mm-hmm. them into a false sense of security? Take them on with him to Camelin. And when he gets there, they meet up with a good old group of dark friends with a couple of fades, and boom. Only salvation is meeting yep. up with Lan and Moraine and <laughs> and and I even and getting out of it. So there's my thought. There's my prediction. And yep. we know Camelin's uh-huh. two days away. All right. Well, anything else from you, Ian? We're over well over halfway, right, to the book. So oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're in the final oh we're, gosh, we're, we're going to the, the like, final stretch. We're in the home yeah. stretch. We're comfortably we're sitting at stretch. Stretch. This, this week yeah, this week after doing the reading, I was Holy like fuck. let me go back and read the prologue and see if I have all this like great insight and mm. like maybe it makes so much more sense. And it doesn't. Um <laughs> well, that's but, the, like, Book four, right? Where really, yeah, which one? Yeah, then you go, yeah, you know yeah, if you go, if, yeah, which is the final book? <laughs> and then you go back and read it, it's gonna make percent yeah, perfect sense. Truly, like, yeah, so I can't, I can't put into words what it is that is more like what makes more sense out of the prologue, but reading it this time like i it just felt more familiar uh but there's nothing about it Mm -hmm. like i can't come to any greater conclusions than i did in our first episode so anyways i just thought that was neat and hopefully i can reach back to that from time to time for the next few books and beyond and it just makes more sense or have a better feeling you're better than me i remember too. that was fun chris if you haven't done it i encourage you like, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm like, man, no, I'm not going to go back to it. <laughs> like, I, it's, yeah, it's, still, it's yeah. still pretty trippy. Yeah. Especially, I, I will say, especially well, after say, book once six, we Lord learned of Chaos, about um, the two characters it, that were it, in it the prologue, we learned about shivering, we learned about traveling through time or traveling through the void or traveling through the power, whichever it is mm-hmm. that he's doing. You know, once we learn about the mm-hmm. ability or lack thereof to raise the dead or travel in time mm-hmm. and change what's happening to people to change their inevitable, their their future, you know, like when we start to learn about that, I think the prologue will have more meaning to me. But right now, like mm-hmm. I still have the same questions now that I yeah. had then, um, sure. minus a, a little bit clearer of understanding of the <laughs> Alzheimer's and, sure. you know, the prophecy yeah. we, we need to actually see the prophecy and hear it and i think that's the part of the great song that's missing maybe so i keep going back to that thought <laughs> maybe our, our teachers are looking oh. for the prophecy yeah. or a mm. part of the prophecy the great song. so anyway Okay. Those are the things I think about while yeah. I'm on the toilet or in the shower or headed to bed. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to see that Willie exactly. kind of is saturating your entire.
entire existence. <laughs> exactly. Very pleased. So, uh, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. But first, before I do that, Aaron, thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This was so yeah, much I'm fun. I'm glad you had a good time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I had a blast. This was amazing. What a great Patreon yeah. <laughs> perk, everyone. Yeah, exactly. Contribute. So, with that being said, uh, thank you. I'll get right into it. So, um, yeah. So, lots of ways you can find us. You can find us uh, at The Wheel Reads on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're also at uh, thewheelreads at gmail.com. Um, as far as the Patreon, as Aaron was talking about, we do have patreon.com um, as well. You can go there, search for us. Uh, the Wheel Reads there. Are, there's a link down below you can click on. Um, and that will get you to our Patreon site to see all the different perks you can get from it, including possibly being on one of our episodes. Um, and then um, Discord, yeah, join that. That's a whole lot of fun. And uh, yeah, um, I, I know Ian and Chris talk about all the time. Aaron's also on our Discord. We have a crap ton of fun on there. Uh, and I'm on a lot of Discord channels, our servers. And I would say ours <laughs> is up there as far as. Uh, as, as a lot of fun. Uh, it has been fun, bro. That's fun. But so, yeah, the link for that's down below as well. Feel free to join that. Uh, we'd love to see more people in there. Um, and, you know, as I said in previous episodes before, like, don't feel like you have to be an extrovert to be on a Discord. There are a lot of flies on the walls, uh, on the wall on our Discord that just join, and I'm sure they read stuff and they never comment, and that's okay. And that's, and that, but, but that that's fine. You can still be yeah. a part, and you get a little bit more of the community sense that that we have going on there. But we yeah. even have like some great introverts. Yeah. Like, um, I right. guess he's going by Jake now in the Discord. Um, but he's like he's a self-professed introvert, and he's joined mm-hmm. us now for joy for voice chat. And yeah. He's like getting more comfortable, which is awesome. This is fantastic. And, yeah. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. It's it's, it's a good place. So, so think it's about so that as well. Um and, and as well, yeah. any platform that you're on uh listening to, make sure you like, uh, subscribe if that's an option on there and rate and comment. Um and with that being said, I think that's it for this week. Thank you for coming. We appreciate it. Yay. Yeah. Until next Thank time. You guys. Right. This is so fun. I hope you are excited. Thank you for listening to the Wheel of Reads. See y'all next time.